What's up, everyone? Welcome to a very special edition of Game Face on Sifted Games. Tonight, it's our Game of the Year episode, Matt. Awards. I love awards. Awards. We're going to be giving out a ton of them today. Actually, 16, I think, is what the, the, the total ended up being. That's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. We're not going to go through everything. Like I know people probably want us to go through every single genre. Uh, there's, a, there's a few that we left out. Like We didn't do sports game. I'll tell you right now. NBA 2K16. <laughs> Some of them I can do really quickly. Uh, we tried to cater them to, obviously, the bigger audience than our Sifted audience. A lot of people don't care about sports games. No, I'll Sifted. tell you right now, I, don't, I have no opinion on sports games you should listen to. So, <laughs> so there are a few we're going to skip over. We do do a couple of fun categories as well, but we do have 16 to get through, so we don't want to spend too much time on the intro. But before we get into the awards, we have one matter of business to get to, Matt. Long awaited. Long awaited. Two hosts ago. Two hosts, two ho right. <laughs> maybe more. <laughs> Actually, more than that. We yeah. had a bunch of guest hosts. So some of you, I don't know, some of you may not have been around when we first kind of launched Game Face, but one of the first things that we ever did is we set up a video game fantasy football draft between myself and Marcus Beer. And obviously Marcus ended up leaving right before E3, but we still have the records, we still have the draft, and today we are going to unveil the winner of the first annual Sifted Games Fantasy Football League. Now, in January, Matt and I will be doing another draft. He's had the benefit of watching both of Marcus and I fumble through the first year. No pun intended. Yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, so it probably should be a little more competitive, but we do finally have the results of the draft. Tony, bring them up. All right. So, hmm. So you can see there, the, the ones with the X's are the games that never ended up coming out. Games that were supposed to come out this year that ended up getting pushed. Marcus had four games that were never released. I ended up having three games that were never released. So, total points in the winner of the league, yours truly, Shane Satterfield, with 626 <laughs> points to Marcus's paltry 497. <laughs> Hence why we're actually talking about it. Um, yeah, Marcus won. What would we do? Yeah, what would we do? How can we congratulate him on his victory? So, I ended you up beating mighty him number good. nine. That's crazy. Yeah, it's, I know. It like, is pretty. There's crazy. a couple things on his list that, like, I, I think even at the time I knew weren't coming out yeah. this year. <laughs> well, I was pretty hopeful too with Persona Five. The division I got screwed. Yeah, by. well, Persona Five Atlas swore for months it was coming this year. Coming this yeah. year, it really is coming this year. I'll say one thing. I drafted it too high, though. I should have taken it with my last pick. But the thing was, I figured if Persona came out, it was going to get a huge score. So I kind of took a risk there. Mm -hmm. um, no Man's Sky, I got juked by pretty good. I think pe most people pretty much thought it was going to come out this year. I don't know. Maybe it was borderline. I, I hoped it would. But... Yeah. Uh, the Division, I definitely got screwed by, no doubt. What's screwed by the Division, but you did pick Bloodborne, which was uh, smart. Yeah, you can see I do have three games in the 90s. Marcus has none. So yeah, Although I, I, actually... I think uh, his, Arkham Knight and Halo 5 should have been... Like, I'm sure at the time we thought they were going to be 90s. Well, I mean, that's the idea. You have to but figure like... out what you think they're going to score. And I was going by the fact that Halo 4 didn't score that great. I figured mm -hmm. Halo 5 would probably get around what it did. So first three rounds for me were really solid. I ended up with the three highest scored games of the entire year. He gave you some shit for picking Bloodborne, if I remember yeah, right. Yeah, I knew it was going to score high. I could just tell yeah. by the way the journalists were talking about it already. So, 
And then, so just to kind of give Marcus a chance, what I did was I basically eliminated the games that didn't come out and found what our average was for each game we picked, and I still beat him there with an 89.4 to an 82.8. So, I am the champion. <laughs> I of, am the champion. I am the champion of year one Sifted Games Fantasy Video Game League. And Matt, you have to see if you can take the throw next year. Maybe by the time we do the draft for next year, I'll have a trophy or something to oh, represent yeah, yeah. the champion. The, the undefe- see if we can break the streak. Good luck taking it. <laughs> the one-year streak. <laughs> Good luck taking it from me. I had a lot of fun with this. I did kind of keep up with it throughout the year. When, it, when a game would come out, I would peek at Metacritic mm-hmm. a little bit. Oh, this another... one's going to be... T- next year's going to be tough because like, we really don't know what the second half of 2016 looks like. I mean, it like. kind of felt the same way when we did this, though we were a good bit into the year. I think we did this in, what, May? In March. May, March, March or, or April. May, something yeah. like that. Yeah, so... Yeah, you're right. Like, it, there'll probably be half of our games will be X's when we do this show yeah. next year. So, Or they'll all, all be out by June. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think, I think there's a like, fair amount of stuff. Because I keep, for some reason, I keep thinking about certain games. It's like, oh, that'll be out early next year. It's like, no, there's no release date. They haven't mentioned anything. It's yeah. the end of the year for Lucky. Yeah. So, Tony, you can bring that down now. I'm the champion. <laughs> I am the winner. I don't care. I, would, I, would, <laughs> you had, I got, got no dog in this fight. You had no really. dog in the fight at all. So, yeah. I'm just going to gloat now. I probably will never gloat over it again. But I did win, and I'm pretty happy about that. So, it's time to move on to the first award for the Sifted Game. First ever Sifted mm. Game of the Year awards, by the way. Just first annual. Video. Yeah, by the time I uh, had finished up at GT, I was so sick of doing Game of the Year awards. <laughs> It's funny thing, the funny thing is I've been doing this so long that it doesn't feel like Christmas time until I do a Game of the Year award. Yeah, yeah. Like I said in the last episode, you know, it had become this crazy process where it was like mm-hmm. three days of debates and then three weeks of cutting the video. And it was, it was always like right on the heels of VGAs. Exactly, yeah, so. while we were doing all the work for that as well. So this is going to be a lot, I think it's going to be a lot more fun. We had always talked about it at GT, like bringing cameras into the rooms while we did the debates and then cutting it down to like the best mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, we never did, but we're kind of doing that here. A little bit. Matt just saw my winners. I have actually known his for a couple hours now because I had to put together some of the stuff for the show. But Matt just saw mine as he came into the studio. So he, we haven't really talked about any of our awards or anything like that. It should generate some pretty good discussion. So here we go with our very first award. The first award is for Best Graphics. Now, I should also say before we start... Some awards we're going to give a winner and a runner-up, but most of them we're just going to give a winner, although I'm guessing other games probably will organically come into right. the discussion. So, first award for the first annual Sifted Games Game of the Year Awards 2015 Best Graphics. Matt, what was your pick? For runner-up or winner? For runner-up. For runner-up would be uh, The Witcher 3. The Witcher 3. I can definitely understand that. Yes. It is a pretty game. It's a very uh, pretty game. Especially on uh, two Titan X's. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you just built yourself a beastly PC. Yeah. It's, uh, and so I run it, you know, full 4K, 60 frames. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy that something looks like that. Um, and and I, it runs I, that well, despite the fact that you spent how many dollars on your rig? A lot. A lot. <laughs> a lot. But it's pretty future-proofed, a little more than future-proofed. But... Uh, it's uh, it's solid and uh, you know it's very believable. Solid, very believable. It's beyond solid. Yeah, but I mean, it's solid frame rate. I mean, it runs very well. And I think even yeah, I play. I put in the PS4 version a little bit this week just to kind of refresh myself and, and also to see how they've improved. Because well, that's yeah. what, exactly they've improved it tremendously. It runs much better. So I think all around, uh, it's a graphic powerhouse on you know console or PC. So but like, yeah, for me that's 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 uh, my runner up would have to, I mean again. 
any other year that would have won. Yeah, I think. Okay. But uh, not well, to tip your hand for your not winner. to tip the hand for the winner, but uh, uh, yeah. What's your what? So what was your runner up? My runner up is Star Wars Battlefront. Legit. And so if I were to just give an award for best technical achievement for graphics and ignore the art, Star Wars Battlefront would have been my winner. Mm -hmm. uh, on a technical level, I don't think it has a rival this year. Um, there are literally some scenes in that game that almost look photorealistic. Um, you know, again, you know, I grew up with Star Wars. It was crazy listening to uh, Cliff Blazinski at the Game Awards talking about how he went to see Star Wars as a kid with his family at the drive-through in a station wagon. I did the same exact thing. I I went to see the original Star Wars in a station wagon with my family at a drive-in, just <laughs> like Cliff Blazinski. And so, I, you know, Star Wars is in my blood, and so seeing some of these scenes and these ships and these characters in glorious HD for the first time, you know, it, I definitely give it a little bit of a fanboy bump, I guess is the best way mm. to put it. Um, I, uh, I think one thing I would say that kept me from giving this game best graphics is that a lot of the game looks a little barren to me and a little repetitive. A lot of it just has to do with the, uh, the, the, the license. You know, Star Wars, is there's Hoth. Hoth is a big open area with snow. Like, there's only so much you can do with that. Now, obviously, this stage, a lot mm. more detail, and this is where it really blows you away with all the lighting on the foliage and everything. Um, but on the whole, there's a lot more parts in Battlefront for me where it's a little easier for the engine to keep up because there isn't a lot of detail in it. So mm -hmm. that's why it ended up being my runner-up. Now it's time for the winners, Matt. Matt, what is your winner for the best graphics of 2015? My winner is Star Wars Battlefront. <laughs> 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 Which, um, I mean, I don't disagree with any of what you said, but as a giant Star Wars fan, the, the detail uh, brought to life in that game is just not... It's unmatched. And... Um, you know, if I wasn't such a huge Star Wars fan, I think I probably would have gone with The Witcher as the winner. But, like, just the the visuals of that game just put you there in a way that almost no other Star Wars property, even the movies in some cases. I mean, we've yeah. never seen some elements of, of those planets that close up and that detailed. And, like, just the other... Because the movies were old. Yeah. <laughs> well, even the, and even the other day, uh, you know, now that everybody's all max level, you know, everybody's running around as the, the, the black hole stormtroopers. You know, right. the stormtroopers in the black armor. Yeah. And um, on Hoth, like, they get snow on them. Like, like you get, like, a dusting of white armor. snow yeah. on the black armor, and it's awesome. Like, it's just such, it's such a great piece of visual work. And, you know, yes, they didn't design any of it themselves, because it was all basically ready-made for them, because, like you say, it's Star Wars. It's already there. It's not an art direction triumph in the sense of, like, being ultimately creative. But they replicated that world in a way that I don't know if even the movies have succeeded at on some level. Not yet, right? Not yet. Because we'll, the technology we'll back when those original, that original trilogy came out wasn't where it is now. So yeah. I mean, the ADATs certainly look better than stop motion. Yeah, for sure. So. I mean, I think a lot of the ships probably have more detail on them than the models well, did. Well, they were then. all done, uh, they called it photogrammetry, uh, where they go and they actually got the models out of Lucas Archive and they took pictures of every single angle and they just made mo 3D models out of them. Yeah. And it's, it shows. Definitely a gorgeous game. It's one of those games that I always dreamed about playing as a kid. I mean, and now it's a reality. So yeah. I can totally understand where you would give that game best graphics of 2015. Now it's my turn. Mm -hmm. 
And my winner for best graphics of 2015 is The Witcher 3. Oh. So, we, <laughs> so we just flip flopped. Look the Magi crap. Come on. <laughs> and here's why I gave best graphics to Witcher 3 over Star Wars Battlefront is just the level of detail one. The, the world in this game it has so much more detail in it than a lot of the worlds in Battlefront. But the other part of it, too, is the variety and the different things that they had to create, render, animate. It's just a much more complicated game. There's a huge campaign you have to play through. Uh, multiplayer is kind of like you create these tools and they're just there and they just function within the multiplayer environment. I um, mean, single player, you know, one thing you could say, I guess, is maybe they can cheat a little bit with single player because you kind of know what people mm -hmm. are going to experience at all times. Uh, but just, I think it's the complete graphical package. To me, on a technical level, on an artistic level, uh, the fact that they created this from scratch and it's not based on another IP gives it a little bit of a bump for me. So while I can under totally understand how Battlefront would win for you, uh, for me personally, The Witcher 3 is the winner for best mm -hmm. graphics of 2015. It's like that thing on Sesame Street where like, uh, Bert sold his paperclip collection to get the soap dish for Ernie's rubber duck, and then Ernie yeah. sold his rubber duck to get the box for the yeah, paperclip yeah. collection. <laughs> like, just reversed each other. There. The other thing, yeah, exactly. The other thing too, I should mention is that you know there's a story in The Witcher, yeah. so they had to animate characters and faces, mm -hmm. and, and there's a lot of cool facial tricks. Probably the best conversation acting yep. in game history. Yeah, very subtle thing. facial animation that really tips the hand of the character, what they mean and how they're feeling. Um, so again, I just felt like overall it was kind of the more complete package and that's mm -hmm. why I got the nod. So right, Well, before you change my mind. Let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's move on. All right, the next award is for most innovative. And I have to say, putting this <laughs> not only together for this was really depressing. Yeah, was not a lot that sprang to mind. I had to, I had to really mentally dig through what I've played this year. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't know that we need any more evidence than we have right now with how many remasters are being made, yeah. that the industry is approaching being creatively bankrupt. But trying to put together, like, a runner-up and a winner for this category was really tough. Yeah. Like, really tough. So, Matt, after all your digging, <laughs> what, was, what ended up being your runner-up? Uh, my runner-up for most innovative would be uh, Lara Croft Go, uh, which is a mobile game. yeah. Uh, and very heavily based on Hitman Go, which was pretty right. good. But it's a turn-based... I think they, they took the, the formula, which is like a turn-based take on Hitman, and they did it to, for Lara Croft, and I think it translates very well, and they did a lot more interesting stuff with Lara in, in this format. Um, and it's kind of a puzzle game. It's kind of a you know kind of an exploration turn-based turn thing. But it's not really like anything else I played, and uh, it extrapolated from Hitman Go in a lot of really clever ways. So uh, And I... You know, I, I'm kind of a Lara Croft fan this year. I, I've never been a Tomb Raider fan, but like wow. playing the Definitive Edition, playing this, playing Rise of the Tomb Raider, like I was like, you know what? I think they they got some cool shit going on with uh, with Lara Croft right now. And uh, Lara Croft Go was one of those things that I was gonna just ignore as like some kind of you know fly by night cash in mobile thing, and then I just tried it on the recommendation of people, and I like, played it for a long time. Yeah, not to devalue your pick or anything, but when that game is one of the most innovative games no, you're of right. the year, you are that's right. really, really bad. I, I had to think, I had to really think about stuff that did things, and I was like, oh, that was clever, that was cool. In a way other than like, oh, you know, Witcher 3 has cool conversation animation, right. or like, you know, like... You know, Xenoblade's map is cool on the gamepad. Like, you right. know, there's things that like went beyond just sort of like using what you already had in front of you and doing something new with it. That was a very that's a very hard thing to pull out of 2015. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so for my first runner-up for most innovative, it's Splatoon. 
So, you know, when I first saw this game, <laughs> I thought Nintendo was insane. I was like, one, I still don't really like the characters and a lot of the art for the game. But the way the game plays, because I first heard about it, and I was like, Nintendo's never really done a competitive shooter before. This is going to be a complete disaster. And while it isn't in the running for, like, best shooter of 2015 or anything like that in my estimation, it did, it's way better than I ever thought it would be. And I also feel like once I played it, it wasn't what I expected at all. Like, mm -hmm. I thought it was a third-person shooter, but it's really not. Like, it's really like a competitive 3D platformer with kind of shooting as a means to an end. Um, I like the different ways that you play, the territorial kind of game modes instead of just kill more people than the other team kills, even though it kind of has that stuff as well, kind of hidden in its modes. Um, just a really unique experience. Like, I never really dreamed that the whole painting part of it would be as prevalent and as important as it was. Uh, I was really surprised with the strategy in the game. Um, again, slim pickings for 2015. But Splatoon is my runner-up for most innovative game of 2015. Now it's time for the winners, Matt. What is your winner? Uh, my winner for innovation would be Undertale. Interesting, because just a, a caveat. Before we shot the last game phase two days ago, we had a conversation about this game mm -hmm. before the show. And you didn't seem to like it very much, so I'm well, a little surprised. Thing. Just because I think it's innovative doesn't mean I think it's good. Yeah, good point. Um, Touche. The thing is, like Undertale, um, the, way, the innovative part of Undertale is that the battle system is set up so you never have to kill anything. Right, it's you a, can play the game without killing yeah. enemies. It's a turn-based RPG, a classic kind of 8-bit-ish RPG. Um, uh, but you can talk to the enemies and kind of examine them and figure out ways to get around them and sort of let them go and have mercy on them. And if you want to, you can go through the whole game and never kill anything. You'll stay level one. Not, that's it. And uh, and there's an interesting element of like you know depending on you know whether you don't kill anything, whether you kill everything, whether you kill a mix of things, whether you kill certain things, the ending will change and it will also impact your subsequent new game plus playthroughs. And so. Uh, I thought taking that idea and making it work with a ton of different... It's not like every enemy you can just say, like, oh, hi, I'm your friend, and go away. Like, you have to figure out how each enemy type you have to deal with to get away peacefully. Right. And so I thought that was very interesting. I think overall the game is a little... Uh, it's a little... Everyone seems... You know, there's, there's, everyone seems to like it. It's kind of, oh, it's hilarious, and the characters are great, and da, 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 and like, But I just... It really feels calculated to me. It feels calculated to appeal to the people who want some kind of wacky, like... You know, kind of retro, warm-hearted sort of like. So it's tailored to the otaku, is what you're saying. Or like to the Tumblr crowd, I guess. Yeah. Like kind of the. It, it, it seems to be kind of. I have not played this, by the I way. Just, it, I probably should have. Yeah, you pr I probably should. I mean, it is worth. It is worth playing. It's a quick, like six to maybe six to eight hour play through the first time through, and there is. Which is really short for an RPG. Yeah, but it's like <laughs> the idea is like you want to. You're gonna want to play. If you want to really see all the stuff you can get out of it in terms of how you change the world, you will probably want to play it three times, I would say. Three times? Okay. Yeah. And it's faster on subsequent playthroughs. Um, how, how so? Like, you can skip stuff. Oh, uh, okay. Um, but, uh, and things change. Like, things drastically change depending on what you did. If you kill everything in that game, like, you get a totally different game the second time you play, almost. Like, it, and different new characters and things. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, so, in terms of innovation, I think they really did some cool stuff with that. But, um... In terms of like kind of the story and the moment-to-moment -moment writing, like it's a mix of like, oh, that's that's good, that's funny, that's a cool character, and also just like, oh, you're trying so hard right now. You know, <laughs> it's, it's like it's 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 a little too much like a hot topic shirt. 
sometimes. If you, if okay. You see, if you see what I mean. I don't, I do, I don't um, know exactly what you mean. But it's worth playing. It's just one of those things that like has been, you know, the fans of it are so rabid that like, you know, when I play it, I'm just like, really? Like this is, you know, it just, it's just like the hype ruined it a little bit, I guess. But it is good and it is very clever and it is very smart. There's a lot of smart game design behind it. So I recommend playing it even if you hate the story or the characters, which I don't think anyone would hate it, really. Yeah. But even if you think it's a little precious, I recommend getting through it and just seeing how he handles... Like, maybe, maybe it's one guy, guy yeah. Maybe <laughs> one guy. Just seeing how he handles not only the non-violent gameplay type, but also how he keeps it interesting through the whole thing and how bosses change it and how... you know it's in And also because, like... Um, it is a turn-based RPG, but when they attack you, a little screen is here and your heart is your soul. Uh-huh. And you can move it in real time like a bullet hell shooter around their attacks oh, in various forms. So like, they have different patterns and like blue attacks uh, don't hurt you if you're, mo- if you're not moving. Hey, if like he that. found a new way to work with a turn-based exactly. battle system... Exactly. That sounds worthy to me. So that's is, not no easy task. No, and it's like, set, like just looking at the screenshots or whatever, you might not think. Yeah. That that I, look, I've watched trailers and I never really got yeah. that from it. So. So yeah, I think uh, that to me was the thing that really made me sit up and say, "Wow, this guy did something new this year." Cool. All right, so my winner for most innovative of 2015 is the Oculus Touch controller. So. When we started hearing about VR, it's like it's very easy to get VR. You sit there, you have the helmet on, you look around, maybe you hold like a controller in your hand, like an Xbox One controller or a DualShock 4. But I always wondered, I'm like, how do we interact with VR and make it work? And so, you know, I don't you remember those old arcade games that were like these huge like helmets that you'd pull down almost like a periscope mm-hmm. and a submarine and put on your head and like so ever since those days, I've wondered, like, how will we really interact with virtual reality? And the first time I got to use the Oculus Touch, I got it. And I was like, oh, so <laughs> I, now I see how this is going to all work. And it's, it's going to basically open up new genres of games for VR. Whereas before, I feared that, like, every game was going to be, like, a first-person adventure or an experiential thing where you're just sitting there and kind of everything's happening around you as a passive participant almost. Once I held, used these controllers and held these controllers, I understood how it was going to be interactive and how I was going to be able to interact with VR. So to me, that's a big paradigm shift. I think this is something that's going to pay dividends way on down the road. I have a feeling that PlayStation VR may eventually try to find something similar to use instead of using the Move controllers, because as we saw mm-hmm. at PlayStation Experience, there are big-time problems using the move controllers in VR. And that was one of the things that kind of tipped me off to this when I was, like, searching my soul to find something innovative (laughs) from 2015. I was like, that's right. Like, I loved Oculus Touch. It was a disaster using the move controllers for PlayStation VR. So that's kind of what led me to this choice. I think this will be something that, I don't know, probably a lot of our viewers have never got a chance to use them yet. I think once they do, they'll understand why my pick is what it is, and I think years on down the road. Yeah, there are some people in the chat saying, like, not fair. It's not out yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point, but I did experience it this yeah, year. Yeah, you did it this year. I used it this year, and it was introduced this year. Yeah. So it is kind of fair, you can, unfair. And you can, you know, you can have, if you get the dev kit or whatever, like, you can actually own one. Oh, actually, yeah, you're right. If you're um, a... a if you want to throw that kind of money away. Yeah, which now those dev kits are going for like 1500 bucks yeah. on eBay. So I don't think anyone's going to go buy any of those. But that's my pick, at least as far as what I experienced this year. Maybe I looked at this award a little differently. 
in, mm -hmm. in that like it didn't come out in 2015, but I looked at it as like what I experienced in 2015 and what was developed in 2015. And it is a finished product as well, even though it isn't technically available at retail. It is done, so mm -hmm. maybe that gives it a little pass, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping next year this category won't be so hard to pick because of all the VR. Yeah, happening. that should help, but I'm still wanting. But then it may be even impossible to pick because then it's like, well, which VR which experience? One did it best? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So and we may not even know that for years until we see what has the most influence. And you know, next year we'll probably have like best VR game as a category, sure. and how do we delineate do you, you between know, most innovative? It'll be know. tough. Undertale wouldn't be one of my best games, but it is one of my most innovative. Yep. All right, so let's move on to the one next. Second. If I could stop and be a producer for a second. Sure. I think your shirt button is whacking your microphone a little bit. Are you getting any pops? There's, there's some people saying that there's some mic pops on their end. On okay. The chat, I'll so. fix it for you guys then. I'll make sure we aren't running into that problem for our game of the year. Is that good? How's that? Are you getting pops? Okay. okay. Let's cool. roll on. Our next category is best first person shooter. No runner up for this one, just a winner. Matt, what is your favorite first person shooter of 2015? Uh, well, that is again kind of a winner of uh, the lesser of multiple, evils? multiple evils. But I'd say the sh first person shooter that made me scream the least in obscenities would be Halo 5 Guardians. Halo 5 Guardians. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Halo fan from way back. I was not a huge Halo 4 fan. I think they dropped the ball on that a little bit. I think most people would agree with you um, on that. Yeah, probably. Um, but I think they started to find their feet again. It's not the most amazing campaign ever. I think the end of the campaign should probably have been the end of Act 1, and they you know, should just keep telling a sto actual three-act story. But uh, which I guess isn't there. You know, this is the beginning of a new trilogy, so like that's kind of the excuse. Is like, oh, maybe they're using the trilogy. Each game as an act, <laughs> pretty much, which I think is not the best. Yeah, that's you know, not a great not idea. The best way to go about it. <laughs> Unless um, they plan on one day compiling all three games into one game, which probably will happen. Yeah, that's true. You probably get another Master Chief collection at some yeah. point. Um, but yeah, I like the the 60 frames per second. They made a, a couple of graphical sacrifices to get there, but yeah. like it runs very smoothly. Um, you know, Warzone, while it's not a replacement for the large-scale battles of the which old, are available now, which are available now, yeah, um, it is a fun mode. Once you're no longer feeling like it's excluding the mode you want to play, like in favor of it. So like now that they're all in there, like that's a good good time, good experience, and um, it's uh, it's it's a much better Halo experience than I had uh, previously with Halo Four and or with Master Chief Collection because that didn't work for like three right. months. And, yeah, um, I mean, the networking has not been a problem with this game at all. No. So 343 uh, definitely got that sorted out. And that is certainly why uh, it, would, it gets the nod for me over Battlefront, because I've had so many weird connection issues with that game. And Halo 5, frankly, has a lot more to do than Battlefront. Yeah. So, much, so I did enjoy my time with Battlefront, but I uh, yelled four-letter words at a lot more than I did <laughs> at Halo. Yep. And so my winner for best... Also, Halo is a campaign. It does, yep. Uh, my winner for best first-person shooter of the year is also Halo 5. What? <laughs> and I've played every first-person shooter this year. I would say, in general, this has been a really disappointing year for shooters. Um, I was extremely let down by Battlefront. I was pretty let down by Black Ops 3. I thought the campaign in that game was almost unplayable, in all honesty. Like, I really had to drag my butt through the Call of Duty Black Ops 3 campaign, which I can't even believe I'm saying right now, based upon Treyarch's track, track record. But... A, a lot like you, Halo 5 was kind of the lesser of the evils. Um, I felt like it did everything pretty well. Nothing really exceptional. 
Um, the campaign, though, actually, ended, even though I didn't really think it was that great when I first played through it, ultimately, it ended up being probably the best first-person shooter campaign of 2015. Hmm. I mean, well, first of all, you know, Battlefront doesn't have one. And, like I just said, Black Ops 3's campaign is completely forgettable and hard to get through. So, it ended up having the best campaign. I don't agree with all the decisions they made on multiplayer, but I still do find myself going back to it and playing it every once in a while. Now that Big Team Battle is in the game, it is something I will go back to every once in a while to play, Mm -hmm. whereas before that was sort of included as some downloadable content I probably wouldn't have. Um, But... Look at, again, you know, when I do Game of the Year awards, I tend to try to look at the whole package, kind of like how we do with our Game Evals, and it's the most complete first-person shooter. It has the best campaign of the year. The multiplayer can compete with Black Ops 3 and Battlefront. Battlefront just lacks enough depth for me to ever give it, like, a best first-person shooter of the year. Um, it's a great, it's great fan service, and as a fan of Star Wars, I enjoy playing it, but it's, for me, the longevity is just not there. kind of wants the shine's worn off of it, so... Yeah, uh, this is probably, and I don't want to say it the wrong way, but it's probably the worst first-person shooter I've ever given best first-person <laughs> shooter of the year to. I it hate to say that. sparse. I'm not, I mean, you're a much bigger shooter guy than I am, but, yeah. like, usually there's a couple, one or two, that, like, really, like, you know, stick in my mind, and, like, it's just, it really wasn't, you know, Halo's kind of, it was like, oh, I had a good Halo time playing yeah. Halo. You know, it was more than, more than Halo was a great, great shooter. It was more like, oh, you, you gave me the Halo experience and I wanted that and that was cool. Although maybe next time we could have more than one damn boss. Yeah. Over and yeah, over. Yeah, over and over and over again. The Warden is not, uh, not your finest hour there. Three, four, three. Yeah, really disappointed. But who designs a game in this day and age? It's like we're gonna have one boss that you fight like six times throughout the whole game. I don't know, but then over the, and over again. And I did, you know, my friend. And he was I cool played, and all, but sure, the first time. Yeah. Sure. But then, like, the, the, my friend and I played through like getting achievements too, and like one of them was like, you know, when you fight, there's a point where you fight three of them. Yeah. And you have to kill two of them simultaneously. Yeah. And like. Hours really because like, because the, the the damage I didn't have a problem with that at all. Well, no, it, it wasn't hard to kill them. It was hard to kill them simultaneously because you had to do exactly the same. Oh, amount for of an achievement, for the achievement. Had, oh, god, you had yeah. to do them simul kill them exactly. You had to hit their death animations. You know, at the same. That's time. insane. That's an insane and like, achievement. And at some point, like my friend was just like, like. Are you gonna see the guy who designed this achievement <laughs> at E3 or something? Because like, I hit him, punch him, like, yeah. like, like push him in the pool with the fig or something. And I was like, I was like, well, I don't know. Sometimes I just don't know what they're thinking. Yeah, I uh, probably th- think we only have time to make one character model. That's yeah. I think the last thing I'll say about this game is that it, it doesn't feel 100 percent like Halo to me. Like they have kind of gotten so mm-hmm. far away from the formula at this point. I kind of understand why they did it. Um, well, also, why are you so worried about me playing Master Chief? Yeah. Like, so much lock. Not that I don't like lock, but it was so heavily lock yeah. versus Master Chief that I'm like, I just feel like they didn't have enough story to cover the whole thing. It game. just doesn't make sense. It's like when people play Halo, they think of Master Chief and they want to play as Master Chief. Like, mm-hmm. look, like the stuff that they did with the Arbiter or whatever, like, that was fine. Like, that was just a little, like, kind of splinter off the main highway and then you kind of swerve back onto the road to play as Chief again. But this game, it was like... May, it may have been like 60-40 locked to Chief, so... Oh, more than that, I think so, yeah. But, uh... And then those three missions where you just, like, walk around and talk to people? Yeah, yeah. Here we are ripping the <laughs> shit out of the game. The game of the year. Like game, as, like, <laughs> best shooter. Yeah, so... That's it. That's our, those are our picks for best first-person shooter of the year. As you can tell, we're not exactly enthused to have to give it to Halo 5, but... Yeah. Someone in the chat said, would you consider Dying Light a shooter? 
And I'm like, not really, no. but I did. I do think I like that better than Halo. I would not. Like. I did not like it better than Halo. I like that game. I, I, and it took it took until I got the grappling hook to like it a lot. Yeah. But like, yeah, I, I dug what they did with that, but I don't know where I'd put that. One of the sleeper hits of 2015, though, Dying Light. For sure. All right, let's move on to the next category. This is a big one. Best Action Adventure. Again, mm-hmm. no runners-up for this one. Just the winner, Matt. What do you believe is the best action adventure of 2015? Uh, my pick would be Rise of the Tomb Raider. Hard uh, to argue with. Which uh, I was also kind of a, a nice little surprise, because I like the, the definitive edition. I played the definitive edition of Tomb Raider again this year to warm up. Yeah. And uh, I really like what Crystal Dynamics did with like, kind of the reinvention of Lara. Like, I never really dug the, the old core design Tomb Raider games and yeah. a lot I thought they were too weird and finicky and grid based and well, just a lot of puzzle they're real puzzle heavy really yeah and like and so like the fact that they kind of turned this into like Uncharted with a little more uh, gameplay meat on its bones I would say yeah. you know, it's not just a plain old shooter with some jumping mechanics like you know Tomb Raider especially Rise of the Tomb Raider uh, digs into some of that a little more and I like it and I like the new version of Lara a lot and um, very well performed uh, I, she's a believable character for a change and uh I really like that, like, kind of have the expedition, you know, as opposed to the first game, which was all on one island. Right. This one goes to a bunch of different places and feels kind of like that Indiana Jones, like, you know, globe-trotting thing. And uh, if this is the di- new direction for Tomb Raider, uh, I am on board as long as they'll keep doing it. What did you think of it compared to the original reboot? Uh, like the la- the, previ- the previous game? Yeah. Uh, I think it's much better. Yeah. Uh, I like the first game a lot. I-, I Way more than I thought, but, like, the variety of setting and, like, the crafting stuff kind of expand, like, which I thought was too much at first, but as I went on, yeah. I felt like I kind of got a handle on it, and I sort of, like, felt like it was actually a, a better way to handle it as opposed to just scrap, you yeah. know, in the first one. Um, and so it took some lessons from Far Cry, which I like, and... Uh, yeah, I just I uh, I don't have a lot of bad to say about that game. I just have a great time playing it. I like the original reboot more, at least as far as the prose is concerned, because I felt like they did a better job of developing Lara in the first reboot That's instead true. of this one. Like this one, she's just a killer. Like, she's well, I still just... don't know why it's called Rise of the Tomb Raider. I haven't figured like, that out no, either. Because it's not like Rise of the Tomb Raider feels like it's like. You know the beginning of her rise to prominence, or like becoming the Tomb Raider, or something. But she like really that done happened. that in the first, the yeah. first reboot. Yeah. I, so I don't know why it's called what it is. Like, that's my only serious criticism. Is like I don't know why you called it that. Yeah. <laughs> and if that's the case, that's pretty that's darn pretty good. good. So yeah. all right. So my winner for best action adventure of 2015 is Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain. So. Obviously, we've talked about this game so much on this show. And we'll continue to, I think. Yeah, and not even just about the game, about a, the whole situation surrounding yeah. Konami and Kojima and all that stuff. Um, but ultimately, when I really just look at it, I played this game for probably like 60 hours. And, and look, Tomb Raider probably would have been my runner-up as well. I mean, it was right up there. But I just look at the value that I got out of the Phantom Pain and how it managed to keep me hooked for that amount of time. Like, mm-hmm. by the time I finished Rise of the Tomb Raider, I felt like I was done with Rise of the Tomb Raider. Like, that 16 to 20 hour window was perfect for me. Because this was an open world game that had a lot more possibilities, a lot of more X and Y variables to it, I felt like it had, a, a, had more longevity. Now, I would say the story was a big disappointment in the Phantom Pain. Um, it did kind of get repetitive at times, but I felt like you were given enough little tools to tinker around with and enough flexibility in how you tackled each mission that you could kind of find your own way to play it. Like, I hardly even played stealth at all. Like, I pretty much played this game like it was a third-person shooter. Like, I just went in and 
tactically killed everybody instead of sneaking. Um, sometimes I would do it as a hybrid, like I'd sneak into a village and then take out a couple guys at the objective and then I'd finish it off by shooting everybody. And just the fact that you can play the game that way or however way you wanted to me kind of set it apart from the other action adventures this year. And then you start talking about like the production values and the wacky Kojima-ness of the game. Um, again, the story wasn't great, but you also had like the whole mother base thing. They did some really cool stuff with the online functionality of the game with the whole for operating base stuff where people could invade your base and you they could invade some theirs. They did things later on with that update. Oh yeah, of course. Um, but again, this is another game where I feel like it was kind of the whole shebang instead of just like a single player like Tomb Raider. Like it actually did some innovate. That actually was kind of innovative what they did with the online. Maybe I should have had that as my runner up for most innovative. But on the whole, I felt like this was the most complete game. Not perfect again. And I think everyone who's played it could agree that it wasn't perfect. And I think a lot of Metal Gear fans ultimately may be a little disappointed in it. Um, but I think if you look at the other action-adventure games that came out in 2015, I feel like this was the one that kind of rose above the rest. So, The rise of the, the rise Metal Gear. <laughs> the Metal Gear, yeah. So Kojima, congratulations. You got best action-adventure from me from your last Metal Gear game. Um... Probably wasn't what I hoped it would be, but it was still really good, and in my opinion, the best action adventure of 2015. So, next category, best multiplayer game. Matt, what's your winner? My winner is Ultra Street Fighter 4. Ultra, an old school game. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, I guess it is old school now if it came out like 2008. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> seven years Man. old. Yeah, that's an old, it's kind of the ultimate expression. What does that say about the multiplayer games of 2015? Well, I'm also not as big a multiplayer person as like you are. Yeah. You know, so I don't, you know, I'm and I'm a fighting game player from the arcades back in the early 90s, so this is sort of my multiplayer of choice anyway. Yeah. Um, I just bought that Guilty Gear game that came out on Steam like yesterday and I can't wait to go home and play it in 4K, but like uh, so fighting games to me are kind of like that's what I do. Yeah, for multiplayer competitively. Yeah. Uh, and Ultra Street Fighter 4, it's, you know, it's, it's the ultimate expression of Street Fighter 4. It's, no, it's um, the ultimate expression of the genre. I mean, there's a reason there. why EVO, this is a tournament that everyone cares about and everyone watches. Mm. I mean, it is the definitive competitive fighting game right now. Period. Yep. And uh, now it's over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Capcom Cup. Usher was, in the new era now. Capcom Cup was the end of Street Fighter 4 competition, and now Street Fighter 5 will take over in the new year. But um, I thought this was a, it was a great final version of the game, and I think it will be played, you know, maybe not as, at the official Evo track, Capcom Cup track anymore, but I think it will be played at tournaments and, and gatherings and friends' houses for forever, for decades to come, just like Street Fighter 3 Third Strike and Street Fighter 2 Turbo. Well, look at it this way. It's seven years later, and it's still the definitive... Yeah. Fighting game, and I'll also give it extra credit for uh, bringing a lot of people into the fighting game world that You're never care right. about. Because I got friends now that have Street Fighter Five pre-ordered who never would have cared a single thing about a fighting game before four. Yeah, so Street Fighter Four. You can probably really, credit Evo with that a little bit too, Evo, right? Oh yeah, but Evo also hotted up because Street Fighter Four got so much interest. I mean, right. Street Fighter Four. Fighting games just weren't a thing unless you were. You well, know, they were kind of dying. They were dead for yeah. a long time, and uh, you know, and all of a sudden, Street Fighter Four just reinvigorated that, got everybody excited. Even people that you know never stopped playing fighting games like me. Well, I was playing with my friends on a Dreamcast or like at home or whatever, but now 
Street Fighter 4 came out and all of a sudden Capcom was sponsoring tournaments and Evo, everybody wanted to know who was going to win and people said, you know, I know friends who like, I never took to an arcade in my life and they know who Justin Wong is and Mike Ross and, yeah. you know, all these guys and it's like, it's like it's great. It it's, is, it's, yeah. it's, it's the best it's been since Street Fighter 2 came out when I was in high school. It's, it's a great time. Yep, it sure is. I have no qualms with that pick at all. It's a good pick. My choice for best multiplayer game of 2015 is Rocket League. And Rocket League is great. Yes. <laughs> it's just great. So here's the thing about Rocket League is when it first came out, first of all, I feel a little weird giving this game an award at all in 2015 because technically the game has been around for like a long time. Yeah, like, the, the, the proceed, was it PC, a PC kind of first gamey thing? Right, yeah. And it was and like a weird title. Yeah, it had like a it Super literally Rocket like, Cars or something. Yeah, it like had that. like yeah. literally like a 10 word yeah. title or whatever. So. I do feel a little weird, but honestly, one of the smartest things the developer ever did was making it free on PlayStation Network. Yep. I mean, it... I never would have looked at it Nobody would have. And it's like, that's the thing about free-to-play, is like, it's, this is the, the perfect example of, why, of how free-to-play can work and why it does work. Um, because they also did it very intelligently. You know, now they're charging for updates, but people are so hooked on the game that they're willing to pay a dollar or two for mm-hmm. some new cosmetics for the game. And that is actually one of the great things about the game, I think, that they've also done really right, is like you think when you play this game, like, oh, it'd be great if I could like be like the DeLorean and Back to the Future. And there it is. And like a yeah. week later, they're like, oh, in celebration of Back to the Future, you know, this is the 2015, you know, date that, that Marty goes to. We're putting out the DeLorean, and like, you know, it's, yeah. it's crazy. Like they, they are like two steps ahead of like your fondest wishes in this game. So I do feel a little weird giving it an award because it has been out for a long time, but this is the year that it hit it big and everybody played it. And so one thing I would say about the game is for the first month that I played it, I was completely addicted to the game. As I gradually build, built my skills, like I just got obsessed with it and because I, I wanted to be good at it because I could see a couple players here and there who were good, and I was like, all right, there's some depth underneath here. But the one thing I would say is that like once I got really good at the game, I didn't keep playing it much longer after that because the matchmaking in this game is so terrible. And once you get good at it, it's very hard to tolerate people who suck at the mm-hmm. game because all it takes is one mistake and you lose a game. And so you have these people who won't play as a team, who are just greedy for goal. That was going the other for the problem. Ball, going for the ball, that, going exactly. for the ball. Exactly. It's like, it, the key to this game is spreading out. That's yeah. how you win at the game. And you can sit there on your chat and just tell them, spread out, spread out. No. Everybody wants the glory. And if they don't want the glory, they just flat out suck. And so my tolerance for people who were not good at the game was such that I really needed to rely on the matchmaking for it. And the matchmaking was awful. I actually haven't played it in like a month or two now. Yeah, so I, maybe it's gotten better. But not really. Because I, I, I still play, I'll say this for this game. Uh, it's the only game in a long time I can remember where I'm over at someone's house and they're over at mine and someone will just be like, hey, put on Rocket League. Right. We'll just put, we'll put on Rocket League, but we'll play online and just pass the controller around and right. everybody just is like, yeah, I'm like, well, there's also, it's fun to watch. There's also Tons couch play. Yeah. Like, you know, you can play it locally with a split screen if you want to. But I'm like, you know, I'm a, I'm a born and bred fullback yeah. in, in, in <laughs> soccer slash football, yeah. whatever you want to call it. Uh, and... Um, so I like hanging back, kind of mid midfield, yeah. a little bit. I like knocking it back up, playing, you know, kicking it, you know, you know, clearing the ball off to the sides and stuff. And like it's, it was just like it got frustrating for me because I would do that, and then like you just see these idiots like yeah. just like mess around over on the ball, and then like inevitably the ball would just come back to me, and I'm just like, try it again, morons. Yeah, and it's, it's not like, even like you have to be a genius or a great no, player. It's like you just stay away. There's one guy after the ball. You stay over here. So you know so what? He has if, someone to pass to. Right. If you stay away, you'll get the goal, bro. <laughs> like. Stay in the middle. Yeah. But look, in a lot of ways, that's not really... 
That's a Rocket League's fault. fault. Right. I mean, other than the matchmaking issues. So, um, as far as like the most fun I had playing multiplayer this year, like that was it because everything else was something that I had played before or done before. And yeah. look, I play a lot of sports games online. I play FIFA. I play NHL, and it is similar to those games. But what I liked about it is that it, it you don't have to be great to enjoy playing the game. Mm. Like, FIFA and Madden Online, it's just brutal, Complex, dude. Complex, yeah. Like, I jump on FIFA, and I'll get beat, like, 13 to 2. Like, sometimes I won't touch the ball for, like, 20 minutes because the people that are play are so good, the ball never touches the ground. Like, they literally just head it from one player to the other all the way down, down the field. So, this game, like, anybody can jump in and have fun with it. And, you know, even when I was first starting, it's kind of there's this evolution of playing Rocket League where you first start and you're just happy, like, bounding the ball around. And then it's like, okay, I want to be good enough to, like, actually pass accurately, and you get that down. And then you finally get to the place where you can actually jump up and you can, like, soar, like, way farther using that mechanic to hit the ball. And so there's, like, a nice little learning curve to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, for a month I was hopelessly addicted to it. I don't play it so much now. Uh, but to me, that was the most fun I had playing multiplayer that she- this year, and that's what's really important. So, It's a great pick. That is my pick. Let's move on. The next category, best adventure game. This is a genre that has been crazy resurgent in the yeah. last couple of years. We'll talk about Dormant. Yeah, I mean, before, and I would say right before The Walking Dead yeah. came out, the genre was done. It was you had to dig. I mean, there was some good stuff coming. It was like a culprit, like, not a here and there. Weird like, little PC releases. Yeah. Like you had to really be into the genre to even know the stuff was coming out. Mm-hmm. And so, The Walking Dead kind of turned everything on its head. And in fact, you know, the Game Awards giving that Game of the Year to Walking Dead was a big turning point for the genre as well. Since then, it's been all green grass and blue skies. I mean, the genre has really changed and stepped up. Um, I don't know that I would really play a lot of just regular point-and-click games anymore. Um, I feel like I did kind of burn out on this, and most people did, obviously. Because it... I mean, I love this genre. I, you know, the LucasArts games were some of my favorites. I have played uh, The Longest Journey, the original Longest Journey. I have played that game from start to finish at least five times. Yeah. Uh, and that's a long game. It that's is, a well-named yeah. game. Yeah. It's a very long <laughs> game. But I love a well-told point-and-click story or an adventure story, and it's nice to see them coming back with the modern... You know the modern enhancements of you know being able to tell these stories in a different way cinematically with like you know 3D graphics and being right in the middle of it and more like a a, a movie or a TV show. Yep. And the episodic DLC format has really opened things up. It has definitely. So with all that in mind, what is your winner for the best adventure game of 2015? My winner for best adventure game would be Life is Strange. Good pick. Which uh, I am a huge, huge David Lynch fan. And it is very, very David Lynch. Lynchian, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, some great performances by Ashley Birch as Chloe. And uh, I don't remember the actress who plays Max, but she is also excellent. Um, a really interesting kind of take on sort of, you know, kind of, they're, they're either, I guess they're in high school, they're seniors in high school, but it's like a really good take on kind of like this, this, this the, the sort of NUI and loneliness of being, you know, an awkward teen. An awkward teen that everybody <laughs> went through. And, and kind of, the other interesting thing, I think one of the things that hooked me early was when you go around and talk to a lot of the other people that are like, in, all the kids that are in different cliques from you. Yeah. Except for the one, the, 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 except for the like very, you know, the designated antagonists. They're not jerks to you, really. Yeah. Like, they're different. They don't aren't into what you're into. They don't really want to hang out with you. But they're not, like, instant assholes. Right. And I like that, like, and it's like, no, I'm just, this is what we do. What do you, you don't care? Okay, go away. You know, whatever. 
And so I, it wasn't like a it wasn't a cartoony portrayal of uh, of that kind of situation. I, I believed it in a lot of ways. And then of course it gets weirder and weirder and weirder and crazier does, as they introduce yeah. more and more strange stuff, and the title becomes Thus. basically a giant <laughs> understatement. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's I was into it. It was it it all really worked uh, for me. And um, anyone who's willing to pick up a cinematic adventure game should play it. Yep, and my adventure game of 2015 is also Life is Strange. <laughs> we don't line up on a ton of categories, but this is one that where we do. Mm. I uh, I loved this game. Um, every time I would finish an episode, I could not wait to play the next one. Um, I was lucky in that when I started playing it, I, there were already four episodes out. Mm. And so I kind of played the first four episodes all in a row and then had to wait for the fifth one. So I still got to, like, experience that longing that you have when you're playing an episodic game, waiting for the next one to come out. Um, The story in this game is just incredible. The writing is really good. The voice acting is great. The whole time-flipping mechanic is handled really well. Mm. Um, It was just... It was one of the most unique games I've played this year. It's the most unique adventure game I've probably ever played since I've you know, since maybe I was like 15 or whatever when the genre was really kind of taking off. Um, I just loved every minute of it. I I loved that it was set in a contemporary time and it wasn't set in like some weird fantasy land or whatever. Like you know they do the things that teens do now. They mm-hmm. went to rave parties and you know drove around in their car talking. You know it's. I just really enjoyed how it was very relevant to pretty much anyone who's going to play it at this point. I thought they wrote the characters really well so that they weren't really like archetypes or stereotypes. Like there really wasn't like that generic jock in the game or the generic like nerdy goth in the game. Like they were all kind of shades of those sort mm-hmm. of archetypes of people. And, so, and if, even if a character did come off like that, usually shortly thereafter there was a way to kind of break through that and see who they more about who they are. Right. For example, the jock that you actually mm-hmm. come into contact with in the game. Like you see him, you're like, oh, there's the jock guy. And he's talking about football with his buddies or whatever. But he actually turns out to be like one of the more understanding, like mm-hmm. down-to-earth people that you end up, that Max ends up interacting with. So... You know, again, I, I mentioned this before, I think, in a prior episode of Game Face, but, you know, the fact that this game was not developed in the U.S., like, really shocks me, because they really nail what it's like to be a teenager in America. And mm-hmm. so... Every I, once in a while, you get, like, an outside-the-U.S. developer that, like, really nails the, yeah. the American thing. I mean, look at Rockstar. Yeah. Well, yeah. But they they pretty much do live in the United States. Well, that, but Rockstar, you know, the original team is Scottish. Well, the Housers, though, they lived in New York for, like, ever, and, like, they're pretty much Americans. And they are the ones who drive that franchise. And they're the ones who say yay or nay to literally Mm. everything. I have a friend that worked at Rockstar for, like, five years, and I've heard some crazy stories about working with those guys. So, yeah, but you're right. It's it's so rare to find developers from outside the U.S. that can nail U.S. culture. Without it being snarky, too, because that's the Mm. other thing about Rockstar. Like, they make fun of American culture. They're mocking the whole thing, yeah. This 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 one just captures it. Right, exactly. So, and it captures it in that kind of absurd blue velvet way yeah. that David Lynch managed to pull off so many times, where it's like he, where he's so interested in sort of the terror of the mundane and sort of how weird things are that we just yeah. take for granted. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things Life is Strange really does is it like, it highlights the weirdness that people deal with in an everyday sense by introducing like outlandish and and fantastical elements yeah. that really highlight how strange normal day-to-day life is it for is, these people for real. and it's it's yeah. it's very smart and it's very clever and uh it's told with some real care 
And they, they introduced a supernatural element to it and doesn't completely mm-hmm. ruin the whole thing, which is really dicey. It could have easily just completely ruined the whole other part of the plot. And so you know, there's a lot of emotional parts in the game. I just, yeah. If you have not played it yet, go play it. I don't know how many more people are going to have to tell you that you should play Life is Strange. Yeah, but, I hope, I hope but here's people, two more. <laughs> yeah, I hope people took advantage of that the $10 on PlayStation 4 deal during the Game yeah. Awards aftermath because that was... I know it doesn't come out on PlayStation until February, but like... If you got that for ten bucks, that's that's some of the best ten bucks you're going to spend on gaming. You have plenty to play right now, anyway. True. <laughs> you can wait until February to play it. All right, let's move on to the next category: best indie game. Matt, what is your pick for best indie game? My pick for best indie game is a little game called Rebel Galaxy, and it is a little it is game. A, well, it's not. It's gigantic. Well, right, right. But no one's ever heard of it. Yeah. Like Rebel- we actually do not have a game page on Sifted for this game. Oh, I think I, I win something for that. Yeah. All right? <laughs> Um, Rebel Galaxy is uh, if you ever it's an, if you ever played Assassin's Creed Black Flag, it is the pirate ship combat in space. Okay, it's basically what it is, and it's like a big open universe thing, and you go into space stations, and there's like it's like a story about your aunt like is missing, and you go to find her because she sent you a, like a message saying come meet me on this space station, and you go and like you're met by this alien you've never met, and it turns out your aunt's like some kind of like smuggler or something, so like you end up with like some special artifact, and there's a whole story about being chased around, but it's, but it's mostly like you can go into the mission thing, it's a little like Elite Dangerous, where you can go and like get missions and like do missions for people, and they send you around the various universe. Right. There is no Z-axis, you can't fly up and down, but you can fly you know left and right, forward, back, right. and you, you, you're, you fly like a giant cat ship and like so you fire broadsides of lasers out and you can like switch to your turrets and like take out individual bombers and fighters coming in and stuff and you you explore this giant universe and it's all done uh, with kind of like this rockabilly soundtrack and sort of this that's like, crazy it's like got a firefly sort like of old west cats. sort of thing <laughs> like going on and so it's like all these like I don't know if the music was made for the game or if it was like uh, it's a, just a genre that this the guy who made the, the guys who made the game like exploited as like part of the tone but it's like it's very much like an old west like firefly style sort of like space game and uh it came out of nowhere and i just like it, i think steam just was like popped it up in my recommendations i'm like oh what's that and i was like that's pretty and so i just like, how did they know it. you spent so much money on star citizen oh i that's not the only <laughs> space game i have believe i'm me sure i'm just joking but um no so yeah rebel galaxy like it's like 15 bucks and uh it's Probably the best 15 bucks I spent this year on indie games. Well, I will check that out on your recommendation, Matt. My pick for best indie game of 2015 is Ori and the Blind Forest. And so here's the weird thing about how I came to the conclusion on this. Usually with indie games, like, because they're cheap and they're generally quicker and easier to make, like, a lot of times you find a lot of innovation in indie games. And, you know, I don't really find a lot of that in Ori, to be honest with you. It's not... It doesn't have, like, mm. some weird gimmick where it's, like... It's pretty much a straightforward Metroidvania. Yeah. It's, like, a, a great side-scrolling platformer. But here's the thing. So, this game that you could buy, I think it came out at 20 Is that right, when it first launched? Sounds I know right. it was a little bit more expensive than most indie games. 20 sounds right. I enjoyed this game way more than the last, like, three 2D Mario games that I've played. Like, I love the crap out of this game. And kind of going back to the theme I've been mentioning throughout these awards so far is it's it's kind of the complete game. It has amazing visuals, probably the best visuals for an indie game from this mm-hmm. year. In fact, you know, this was... I came real close to putting exactly, this on best graphics. Exactly, man. It's, this was almost right there as yeah. my runner-up for best graphics. And so it has the great visuals. It actually does have some really cool, like, gameplay mechanics in it that you don't see in other games. 
It's a pretty lengthy, beefy game. I, it just felt like the most complete indie game from the year that is also excellent. Um, it doesn't really have a gimmick, but the other part of it, too, is that it's very emotional. And mm-hmm. it, at the end of the game, it does get a little cheap. I felt like they, they didn't wrap it up very well, but there was a couple times where I got misty-eyed playing this game. Like, they do a very good job of tugging on your heartstrings. And so, for the great story, the great setting, the, the amazing visuals, the outstanding art design, the laser-tight gameplay, the challenge that is perfectly tuned, it's hard, but it's not too hard. Um, I just thought it was an amazing game. Again, better than a lot of $59.99 games that have mm-hmm. been put out that are 2- 2D side-scrolling platformers. Um, so my winner for best indie game of 2015 is Ori and the Blind Forest. So it's a good one. Let's move on to the next category, best story. All right. And this, this is, <laughs> to me, this category should just be called Best lesser of all evils, because <laughs> in my opinion, video game stories almost always suck. So, Matt, what is... find a great one. It is very hard. And even, like, the ones that we consider great, if you compare it to, like, the best stories in film or even television, it's still generally, like, a cut below. So, yeah. Matt, what was your favorite story from 2015? My favorite story from 2015 is uh, The Witcher 3. Witcher 3? Um, and not even the main... I mean, the main story of Witcher 3 is so- definitely solid. I mean, yeah. it's it's interesting. It's got the political intrigue you expect from The Witcher. It brings in Yennefer, who's like this character we've heard about for two games. Yep. And read about if you read the books. Uh, but you haven't seen her in the game series until now and finally reunited, and you have some decisions to make regarding that. Yep. But um, my the thing that really sells me on The Witcher is the side quests. I think the side quests in this game, writing-wise, are better than most ga- other games' main stories. Yeah, I would agree, 100%. Um, and there are a couple side quests in this game that like just blew I mean I love the fact that you can start like one of the contracts just like okay kill monster you gotta kill and I was like oh this isn't here this isn't a monster it's like oh track this blood trail it's like oh what's this underground hidden thing this letter says that this and I guess go talk to the person who's in this letter yeah. and like you know like 20 minutes later you're in a totally different story and you forgot you what the original you forgot what you're doing <laughs> and like and then like yep. but but I gotta say the one that the one that I will always hold up as an example is um uh the quest called Family Matters which involves the bloody baron and it's very pretty early on but it, it it gets it gets dark as I mean yeah. it it deals with some very dark issues. And that so, was what I loved about yeah. the story in this game. Period. Absolutely, was like how dark it would get. Yeah. And like some sometimes you start you'd be like, okay, here's my next mission. You'd follow the marker or whatever. You get there, you'd see the character you're supposed to interact with. You're like, oh, this is gonna be like a goofy fun mission. And next thing you know, nope. you're put into this weird like moral quandary that yep. you never expected. Like, Which is big on that because like the bloody it tested ba- your it tested your morality like yeah. big time. And the bloody baron is like this big fat like you know bombastic dude. And you think the quest is gonna be about like oh dealing with this guy being like an to go collect him some food or something. Or something. <laughs> and like it turns out to be like a really dark emotional like yeah. grind you know and like and like then like you know a couple other quests end up tying into what you're trying to do with the like in, in terms of the overall arc of that quest and I'm not going to say what any of it is in yeah. case someone hasn't you really should have played this game by now but if you haven't I'm not going to say anything about it because you need to discover what this quest is actually. Well, a lot of people own. may have been but playing it, but just haven't made it there yet. That's it's true so too. Huge. It's, it's gigantic. <laughs> There's still stuff, in, and that's the thing. Some is people like, just start and just splinter off right from the beginning. I mean, I'm so. 120 hours into this game. I am still not. I'm kind of like saving the end of the game until later. Um, that's hilarious. I'm just. I'm just about to start like the Hearts of Stone thing. I mean, yeah. this game is gigantic. It really gigantic. is. Yeah. And, and to have that level of writing and prose yeah. across that much. And it just continually. Much, yeah. I. I think it's done surprising me or like blowing me away with what. And I'm like, and every once in a while, it still has a quest where I'm just like, that was really cool. Like yeah. really smart. And I will tell you, if the 
I know that I can't remember her name, but there's like one particular woman who who writes for them who wrote like that Bloody Baron Quest and did all that. And if they have her on Cyberpunk, I cannot wait to see what she comes <laughs> up with in that world because that should be equally horrific and amazing. Yep. If I had a runner-up, it would have been The Witcher Three. But my winner is, and we just talked about this game, Life is Strange, which would have been my runner-up. Yeah. Uh, this game, literally at times, I felt like it was going to break my brain because as the episodes start to wear on, like because you have this whole time shifting mechanic, there's like in like the th- I think it's the third episode, like there's something that happens that makes you realize the depth of what has been happening in the first three episodes, and it makes you kind of go back and rethink everything that had happened before. And I don't, yeah, I don't want to spoil it too much, but basically, what I love about this plot, other than how I talked about the characters earlier when we were talking about it for the other category, is just how it it makes you think about everything differently. And then at the end, there's like a twist, and there's one part where like you're putting a really tough decision, not even related to you, but related to like a family member of your best friend, and like it it plays with the moral issues of changing what's already happened. I guess is the best mm. way to put it. And how you may think, oh, something really bad happened in the past. If I could just go back and switch it. But you don't realize that that switching it could end up with even worse consequences than what had originally happened. And so, you know, just the way it made me think about everything that happened in the story and how it, it was smart with the callbacks, but you, it wasn't like stuff that you'd forget. Like a lot of times in games or even movies, like there are these twists that like the director or... The, the developer thinks are really intelligent, but they'll fly right over your head because it was something that was important to him, but you didn't really pick up on it while you were playing the game. Like, the way they structured the story in this, like, the, the important beats are registered in your mind as important so that later on when you need to recall them, you actually can. So, uh, I love the story in this game. I loved all the characters in the game. Again, you know, talking earlier about how there aren't really any archetypes or stereotypes. Um, I just really loved it. And it the story, it isn't the gameplay that keeps you hooked on this game. Mm-hmm. I guess is the best way to put it. I mean, the gameplay is very simple. Mm-hmm. Walk around, fiddle with stuff. And the gameplay is entirely centered around, you know, building the story and altering the yeah. story. And exactly. choosing, choosing where the story goes. Exactly. And, and the other I part... I also give them credit for... Uh, uh, it's established very early in, in, the, in the game that your character, Max, is, has a reputation for being nosy. Right, yeah. Which, like... Is really funny, you yeah. know. In an adventure game, what do you do? You look at ta- look at You're everything you take. Stuff. Every day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, and and you can actually get in trouble for taking things yep. that aren't yours. But the the, the the but the great thing is like you can do that time reversal thing and undo you know, some stuff. Some stuff. And see, they're smart but about then, that too. But then you get away with like you know, you still get the information of the thing you took or read, but you yeah. don't piss off the person who it belonged to. Yeah. Which, uh, and then of course there's. Uh, they don't forget. They don't ignore that aspect of it yeah. later on. So I also love great. too that it's a game where you're making decisions in the dialogue trees, and they're really smart too. Like you said about not letting you rewind everything. Yeah, there are consequences because when you can rewind anything, it's like then there's no weight to the decisions you're mm-hmm. making. But they don't let you rewind everything, and the story does splinter off in different directions. In a lot of games, like they'll send you off in a direction, but ultimately they bring you right back to that one path. Yeah. And this game does it right to the bitter end. Literally, the last thing you do in the game is make a huge decision that gives you different endings. And I mean, I don't know how they're going to deal with that ultimately in the sequel because they're already talking a little bit about there's going to be more of them. Um, I don't know which ending they're going to choose as canon, so to speak. But uh, just the fact that they paid it off 
And that doesn't happen enough in games. Remember mm-hmm. Mass Effect 3, the big uproar oh, yeah. over that? It's not a choose your color. Anymore. Yeah. No, this game pays off like the decisions that you've made. And, and it, it makes the game... E- here's the other thing, too. It makes the game easier or more difficult based upon a lot of your decisions right. as well. So, And the other thing I love is at the end of an episode, it shows you uh, all the decisions you made and the percentages of your friends list who made, yeah. wh- who made what decisions. So you get a percentage of like 75% of the people on your friends list did this, 25 did this. Yeah. And you look at it and you're like... And was, after the first episode, I'm so different from my friends. No, the first episode, every single choice I picked was the same thing like the majority picked. And right, I was like, yeah. oh, I feel like feels I feel so dirty, dirty. Why am I like everybody else? I thought I but was. That's a, why I thought I was a hero. That's know? why you're friends with those people, right. though, because you think about things similarly. So there's a lot of depth. We could talk about the story oh, and Life is Strange for hours. But. And it's uh, it's has a you know it has a it's very understanding and and. Um, uh, it's set up to go back and do things differently without fucking up your save. Yep, like for sure, yeah. You can go back and, and like pick up collectibles. You can go back and it'll instantly let you start from anywhere in a different slot, save slot, so you yep. can always go back and see other options. Yep. It's, it, it, it's very... And I like, sometimes I just use rewind just to see what the other option was. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, just because I'm curious. I'm like, oh, well, what would happen if I'd have done something else? And if it let me rewind it, then I would. Mm-hmm. So, And it's such an interesting story mechanic that it took me a while to... like. Get it through to my wrap head your head around that. that. Yeah, and a couple times I was like, I'm so used to adventure games where I pick the wrong thing. I was like, well, screwed that up. You yeah, know, just walk away. And it wasn't until like the next section, I'm like, wait, I could have gone back and then yeah. gotten it right. Oh, like yeah, it's it's really. It's it actually really took smart. me a while too. I didn't think I really picked up on it until like the second episode, and mm-hmm. then I was just obsessed with it. Like every decision, I'd be like, well, I'm gonna roll it back and see what would have happened if I chose something else. So, just the flexibility it gave you. Like, what game can you say that really lets you do that? None. Not really. So, especially the sense of like just. That it doesn't have that thing where like okay you can pick like you can pick all the different ways to say this dialogue but in the end the other character you're talking to is going to respond to you the same way one way or the other yep. and like that that artificiality is not in this game yep so that's my favorite story of 2015 let's move on to the next and I actually love this topic I I came up with this award out of the blue it just popped into my head but I love the concept behind it. This category is called Future Legend. And basically what we're doing is we're picking the one game that we believe will be talked about the most 10 years from now, or 20 years from now, or 30 years from now. What game from 2015 do you think is going to have that kind of resonance, Matt? I think it will be Metal Gear Solid V, The Phantom Pain. How come? Uh, because it was the end of an era that has existed since basically we were children. Yeah. I mean, it goes, you know, Metal Gear on the MS- MSX goes back to what, the mid 80s, early 80s. Yeah. Um, the only reason I know it's after, it's, it's after Big Trouble in Little China. Like, we know <laughs> that, right? Um, but, uh, an escape from New York, obviously. But, um, I think because it was also it was the final Metal Gear game by Kojima, it was surrounded by the Kojima uh, firing dismissal, the, all the all the drama around Konami and what Konami is doing with its properties and whether they're even making games anymore, and you know, and the PT thing, and I think and Metal Gear Solid Five is just going to be kind of emblematic of that whole piece of turmoil. And I know there's tons of you know I know there's tons of people who are going to pick it as their game of the year. Yeah, um, I mean that's the other part of it. Like it's a great game. Yeah, so. <laughs> uh, you know, and it's it's. You know, I th- I think it's it's it feels unfinished. It feels you can see the game he wanted to make that's not there. Really, it's yeah. it's, it's sad to me. To, and and that's the thing is playing the game has this weird sense of melancholy, both in the sense that like 
it feels unfinished. It doesn't feel like what he wanted to make fully. But also that element of like this is the last one is in that game. Like he right. knew. Like they oh knew, yeah, you, you can know? tell. Yeah. It's in there for sure. <laughs> And like it's it's kind of like this it's this very long goodbye in a lot of ways and so I think that's a going to stick with people I think you know if Konami has I don't know if to call it the balls or the gall to make another one another oh they'll make another one Matt like um, how is that going to be received who's going to step up and do it how what is the fan base going to you know feel about that like you know. I, I think Metal Gear Solid Five will be a touchstone for a very long time because it was it was the last Kojima game from 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 Metal Gear and, and from Konami. I mean, look, he, Konami. he hasn't yeah. he just made that Metal for Gear. A very long time. I mean, he made Zone of the Enders and like weird games like Boktai. Yeah. Like he got his hands in uh, um, Castlevania for yep. Lords of Shadow. I mean, yep. it was, you know, it's he defined that company for a very long time, and uh, I think that that game is just going to be seen as. A lot of different things to a lot of different people. It's going to depend who you are. But even if you hate Metal Gear and don't care about Metal Gear, you have to acknowledge that game as A, an amazing exit, and B, like a giant stone marker for an era. Also, an open world Japanese game. Yeah. How many of those are there? Not. I, I can't think of another one, can well, you? Xenoblade Chronicles. Yeah. That's like an RPG, though. Like an open world like action-adventure game. Not too many. Yeah. Um, I mean... I can't think of any. Not on the scale of Metal Gear. I mean, no. Yakuza, kind of... Yakuza, yeah, Yakuza a little bit. But again, Yakuza has a lot of RPG elements. If you're yeah. talking about a game that's literally... Like, you know, just in the sense of like an Assassin's Creed kind of thing, like, Metal, Gear's a, Metal Gear Solid Five's about it. And again, he was very influenced by Assassin's Creed. That's what he wanted to make. There's, an, there's a story about how... You know, he he wanted to make Metal Gear Solid Four a big open thing, and his team told him they couldn't do it. And then he went and they uh, saw Assassin's Creed announced for the first time at E3 that year, and went back and said, "You lied to me." Yeah, <laughs> like, and that's what he's been wanting to make forever. Yeah. You know, and like you can see that in Metal Gear Solid Four warming up, and now he finally got to do it in in five. Yep, I think that's a good pick. I think we'll definitely be talking about that game for a long time to come. My winner for Future Legend Award is Splatoon. Mm. Um, new IP from Nintendo, which sadly we hardly ever get Not anymore. Common, no. I mean, it's sad, but it's true. Like, what was the last new IP that would really hit? It was Pikmin, probably. Yeah, Pikmin or Pikmin or Animal Crossing, which came first? E. I don't remember which one came. I don't first. know either, actually. But you're right. That's probably the other one would be Animal mm. Crossing. Um, this game is came out of nowhere to be a smash hit. It's really freaking weird. <laughs> it is. It's just weird. It plays like no other game on the market. I am completely, supremely confident this is going to become another feather in Nintendo's cap, a franchise that we're going to see sequel after sequel to for many years to come. Nintendo has wanted a shooter franchise to call its own for ever since GoldenEye, pretty much. Um, it has been unable to do it. It finally did do it by doing something completely different. Um, you know, the the hype for this franchise is just getting started, man. Like, this is the first game. Um, it is fun. I had a blast with it. It's a good game. Um, it's not like it stinks, and it's one of it's one of those brainwashed jobs by Nintendo where Nintendo fans are buying it just because it's their new their hot new IP. Um, I had a ton of fun playing it. I still have a ton of fun playing it. They're supporting it very well with DLC. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if in the first couple of years in the NX we get Splatoon 2 or whatever the heck they end up calling it. Um, I just think, Splatoon. Yeah. I just think, you know, 20 years from now, we'll be at, like, Splatoon 5 or whatever. 
And this will be the game that they pointed back to because, you know, this game could have probably should have flopped. <laughs> it still blows my mind how successful this game is. I think the other part of it, too, is that it's a shooter that kids can play. And adults like to play it, too, which has kind of been Nintendo's ace in, ace in the, in the, up the sleeve always, is that they can manage to make games that both adults and kids like to play. And I think this was the genre that I thought they had the least chance of doing that. So I think Splatoon is a game that we're going to be talking about for a long time, or a franchise we're going to be talking about for a long time. It debuted this year, so it is my future Legend Award winner for 2015. This is a fun category. Most pleasant surprise, Matt. (laughs) Uh, My pick for most pleasant surprise is Star Wars The Old Republic Knights of the Fallen Empire. That's a mouthful. The uh, the new, new, (laughs) we're not calling it an expansion, I guess it's a new content offering or something from SWOTOR, the, the MMO, the Old Republic MMO. Which I did really enjoy. I played when it launched, and I got my character to 50, finished her story, and uh, that was about it. You know, like, it was a long, grindy game, but, like... Well, I think this game's sort of history has been long and grindy. Yeah, but, like, (laughs) but they have... The thing is, like, and they they put up a major update patch alongside this this expansion, and it uh, basically turns it into a single-player game. Like, you only have to play your character's story and some of the planet story, story quest chains... You can, you know, it took me 20-some days to get my first character to 50 when the game launched. I got two characters to 60 in two weeks. Wow. Uh, went right when this thing was happening, because they yeah. up, you know, it's like something like six times experience on your story missions. Right. And, and they also did a level scaling thing that everybody screamed about, but it actually really works, because it means anytime you do anything, it scales the level to wherever you are. So wherever you are and whatever you're doing, whatever you're interested in doing, you're getting a proper amount of experience for that. Right. So if you just want to... Play the space battle stuff, which is all a lot of fun. You know, you get decent experience as opposed to previous to that patch, you got like two experience right, right. You know, for nothing. Yeah, you because know, it was you were out leveling everything. And now, then, then once you get up to the you know, up to sixty, get everything finished. It's very standard MMO. It's just faster. But then Knights of the Fallen Empire, the actual expansion, is an entirely story-driven, you know, Knights of the Old Republic, Bioware style. RPG like is you know like you don't do MMO stuff in it. You go through like designed dungeon areas, and like you know you're still playing it like MMO. Maybe I'd actually enjoy it. Yeah, <laughs> it, really. It's like I mean, it still plays like an MMO because that's how the controls are. That's what the game is. But yeah. you're not grouping with other players. You're not playing fetch quests. You are playing a narrative that goes through all this. You know, in the same way, you know, it's almost an adventure game now. For that, and then once it, once this that's over, I mean, they still got some episodes left to come out over the, the next few months. It's like six months. I think they put out like nine episodes or something, and now like one more episode comes out per month until June to finish the story. But like this is pretty much what Swotori is now, and I think it's a tremendous turnaround, an amazing. You know, I played it you know years ago, and I never really went back to it more than a couple times a year. And like when this thing, when that patch hit, I played this game for like a month straight, and I hadn't touched it in forever, and it was great. And, that's an uh, achievement for a game that's been around that long. Yeah, and uh, they really again, you're a big Star Wars. fan. I am a big Star Wars fan, but that's not going to save you from that's gonna, not going to save you from that's, having that's a boring the first game. eight hours. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't get you through the first eight or ten hours. Yeah, so uh, this one, you know, it re- and it really does feel old school Bioware in a, in a good way. Um, so I would say if you if you like Knights of the Old Republic at all, give Fallen Empire a shot. And also, if you if you join as a subscriber, you get all the expansion content. You know, with that one month uh, subscription, and you get that, and it stays for free. You have to get be a subscriber to get that subsequent episodes, but you can get every, access to everything right away for a month. That should give you enough time to to know if you like it or not. And um, 
uh, they let you create a level 60 character off the bat, so you don't have to play the main That's game. Crazy. You just jump right into the expansion story content. Smart, but crazy. Yeah, so I was super surprised to see that game had some serious life in it, even the, this, these many years later. It still looks good, too. It, it, because it they it, used an art style that doesn't really get old. Yeah, the art style holds up, I think. Kind of like World of Warcraft, mm -hmm. uh, where it's like, yeah, you, you cartoony it up a little bit, and it, it, it gives it, it some extra longevity. So, my pick for most pleasant surprise is Until Dawn. I was blown away by this game. I <laughs> this is the one game I wanted to play in time for this that I didn't manage to get to. Yeah, I uh, I expected nothing out of it. I really thought this game was going to stink. Like, I didn't really have given it no hope. And usually I don't try to, like, build up, like, my opinion of a game, like, before I play it. But for whatever reason with this one, I think part of it was the development history. Like, um, it just didn't have a great history. Like, the develop development studio. So... My expectations were low for this one. I was blown away. This game also was very close to winning, like, best story for me. I was kind of expecting you to give best story to this one because you were so impressed by what it did. Yeah, because it also is one of those games that isn't linear at all. Like, it really branches off and gives you, like, ten different endings. But for this one, like, the writing and the characters, they, the characters really were, like, the archetypes. Mm -hmm. And, look, it was emulating a, a, a slasher horror so, flick, yeah. so you're kind of supposed to have the jock and the nerd and all that. But ultimately, it didn't have the emotional impact on me that, that uh, Life is Strange did. So that's why I kind of gave the nod to Life mm -hmm. is Strange. Um, but blown away by this game. Like, again, my expectations were so low, and I think that's what plays into a lot of surprises. Like, what was your expectation before you played it versus what was your impression after you played it? And so for me, Until Dawn was, you know, mind-blowingly great compared to where I thought it was going to be. Um, and I'm a big horror fan as well. That doesn't hurt. Uh, but I think most people probably never saw this game being as good as it was. I think a lot of people saw, like, the butterfly effect trailers and were like, mm -hmm. yeah, right, like, that's really going to work. And because we've heard that a million times and it never did, it actually did work in this game, so... Yeah, anybody making a game that features stuff like that should probably be angry with David Cage. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's trained us to just not believe. You're right, yeah. So that's my pick for our most pleasant surprise of 2015. Let's move on to biggest news story... Mm. from 2015. Matt, what's your choice? My choice was maybe not entirely unpredictably, considering what we talked about a couple of categories ago, but my, my choice would be uh, the Kojima-Konami meltdown. Yeah. Um, just because it was, again... The oh, we've end, talked about it on this show. Yeah, end of an era, like, really nasty. Like, just in ways it didn't need to be. Uh, and I hope somehow one day we find out what exactly happened behind the scenes. Because, like, it just seems such a... Like, okay, even if you don't want to deal with the guy anymore, like, he buoyed your company for, like, three decades almost. Like, how do you... Like, it's just so weird that they would want to burn that bridge so thoroughly with him. I don't understand what would have happened to make them so cavalier about doing... Even up to up to and including the thing with the Game Awards where they forbid him from coming to, right. get, to accept an award for the game. You know, which just, like... Like, God, what what, what happened? Like... He was there forever. Like, does he have no friends in the, yeah. the higher... Like, what happened? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, it's it's just a bunch of question marks because I've worked in a lot of creative I think situations. they just got fed up with him. I guess, but I've worked in creative situations where a lot of people didn't get along, but I can't think of a situation where everyone was just, like, scorched earth that shit given yeah. a chance. I mean, it's just... Actually, I guess that did happen in a couple of particular Yeah, I can think of a couple. <laughs> I can think of a couple times that did happen. Mm. But, yeah. like... Stakes is high. Yeah, but it just, like... Wow. 
Like it just wow. Like I I I, I, mean, I watched like every single development of that. Just just I my jaw dropped again. I'm not every even time. Huge, every I'm time not, I thought I was done yeah. with it. Like some new development would happen, and it would just I would just get. I mean, so invested in it, yeah. like all over again. And like and I'm kept, not a huge Kojima fan. Like I think yeah, a lot, me either. I think a lot of his stuff I respect is, him and whatnot. Him, but, but I I'm don't just, like, enjoy like, a lot of his games. Uh, yeah, I just kind of a lot of it's just like ugh, yeah, really yeah, superfluous. Like, yeah, but like. Like I just can't imagine how how would you how do you treat that guy like that? It's I mean and and then that makes me think like what if he did something really horrible? Like what yeah. if there's a good reason for yeah, it? Yeah, there I don't could know. be that Konami can't really talk about yeah. or whatever. And I you know the thing about taking his name off everything, I've always wondered if like maybe there was something in his contract that if he's not working for them, they can't use his name to advertise. That could stuff. be. I so mean, maybe, look, we don't know. We don't even know half we of what's going don't know. on there. I mean, and look from a financial perspective, I could get what Konami's perspective yeah. on it like i could see why they may not be happy with him but here's the thing if you have a product that you've already invested a hundred let's say a hundred million dollars in for development you're sick of kojima and he's taken three years longer than you're supposed to that's fine that you're angry about it but wait mm-hmm. you wait until the get you've, you've already in for a hundred million yeah. and so he can't gonna, just like throw it out there and hope it yeah. works out and so it's over like you, you, can't you do placed that. your bet at that point like you just let it ride until the game comes out, or even until like six months, until it's like sales windows passed. Mm-hmm. Like you don't raise a stink like that with people that, and maybe wrongfully, people kind of put him on a pedestal. Maybe we, we don't know the whole story, but like it or not, most players think he's like a gaming god, and so you don't <laughs> pee all over a gaming god right before his yeah. game comes out. There's like no winning on that because like there even isn't. even if he was he was totally wrong and Konami was totally right. We, you know, I think we as gamers are always going to side with the guy who made the games we loved. Yeah, you know, like, like, and we're, well, as opposed to the faceless later, corporation. Co- yeah, you know? even like, if it comes out later, that Kojima was a complete douchebag or whatever, or broke contracts, or was just a jerk to Konami. Like, it doesn't matter now because Konami was a jerk already, and so it yeah. could have sat back and like waited. And if it's true that Kojima did something shady or shifty or didn't live up to the expectations that he had given Konami. If they had waited, like, it would have been all good. Nobody would have hated Konami. They'd, they probably still wouldn't have hated Kojima. Right. But they wouldn't have hated Konami. And now it's to the point that even if it comes out later that Kojima actually was the problem in this whole situation, people still are going to hate Konami. So yeah. It's hard to, hard to imagine what he could have done that would have justified that kind of treatment in, in the public eye. It's just poor corporate strategy yeah. on Konami's part, period. And very weird from a Japanese company. It is like weird. normally it's all about like keeping everything copacetic and making every sure everything's looks fine, nothing's yeah. wrong. You know, everybody keeps to, keeps their dignity and keeps you know keeps the respect going. But like in this case, it was just like boom, like just both barrels. Screw, screw yeah. you know, I, I I just don't get it. Like I have no idea what could have happened behind the scenes to to create such a situation. And yep. it was just fascinating to watch that unfold. It's still fascinating. Yeah, still, and, I'm and sure it will continue to be fascinating. And- Future legend, 10 years from now, we're probably still going to be finding out little tidbits oh, of yeah. what happened this year. I mean, even, think about it. Whenever Kojima moves on and announces his first new game, we're going to talk about this again. Oh, yeah. Like, we'll be talking about when this they the new again game. on Game Phase. I guarantee it. When Guillermo del Toro finally teams up with Kojima to do something, because it sounds like he really wants to. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, honestly, continue. that is the biggest news story of 2015, but I went with my heart a little bit on this one, and my biggest news story is Awada's passing. So... Yeah, it, mm-hmm. I, I think uh, emotionally, even more than people got charged up over Kojima getting screwed, at least allegedly, by Konami, I think even people who aren't Nintendo fans had a soft spot in their heart for Awada. 
because he... It's so funny, you watch like those Nintendo Directs, and if it were anybody else but him being a part... I mean, the production in those things is kind of a joke. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Like, a lot of times they're sitting in like this dodgy, like, conference room in their very sterile NOJ headquarters mm-hmm. in Kyoto... And, I mean, literally, there's times where he's literally, like, in a conference room with, like, some corny painting behind him or whatever. And, like, in the whole, like, direct, like, if an American company did that, they get laughed out of the room. But it's because of who it is that he gets a pass. And, you know, the fact that he is a player and a developer. And he started out, like, slugging it out and worked his way up through Nintendo from basically nothing. I mean, granted, I think he did end up marrying Yamauchi's daughter, but... Yeah, he, part of the reason he did get that president position was because they wanted to keep it in the family, and I think Yamauchi didn't think his son was up to the task. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but ultimately, like, he, he was a very... Good pick, though. Yeah, good pick. He did a great job. He's a charming guy. He, I've met him a couple times. He is incredibly friendly and awesome. Um, very cordial to anybody who comes up to him, no matter who you are, whether you're a journalist or you're just a fan or whatever. And I think people get that vibe from him, and I think that's why people took it really hard when he finally, when he did pass away, and also passing away at a young age, and you just look at it from what he did for Nintendo. Nintendo was done. Think about it: two failed platforms in a row with the GameCube, and before that, really, the N sixty four was a failure. Um, and he pulled Nintendo up by its bootstraps to have two of the most successful platforms ever. And I hope that people don't remember him for the Wii U and the failure that was the Wii U. Unfortunately, that was like the final console that he ever had a part in working on. But you look at what he did. I mean, he was brave. He was crazy. I mean, think about it, dude. A handheld with two screens. That's nuts. Like, waggle. Like, motion control. Like, when you're... Think about it, Matt. If you were like the CEO of that company, a billion whatever dollar company... And you come into a meeting, you're like, this is what we're doing. Hmm. How much balls does that take, man, to just completely flush what you've been doing all those years down a toilet? Which it made Nintendo, it built Nintendo's war chest, the billions of dollars mm-hmm. they had in the bank. That's why, because they had done things the same way. To go for that blue ocean strategy, to me, it shows great bravery. And, you know, he was right. And he wasn't right with the Wii U. Who knows whose idea mm-hmm. that was. But... And it wasn't as successful as the prior two platforms that he had kind of launched. But uh, to me, somebody... I mean, people are going to be talking about the Wii for forever. It changed video games forever. The DS with a touchscreen. Even though the dual screens may not last forever, using a touchscreen to play video games or for your inventory is something that is going to be around forever. There's always going to be And it remains screen. the only handheld system to really hold its own in any regard against the mobile game and, title front. truth be told will probably be the last ever mega successful dedicated mm-hmm. video game handheld. So, and I think be, I think it will be somehow folded into the NX because it's just it's it's it was might have been their one of their weirdest ideas, but it was also their best idea for a long time. And you see that us also I think you see that in the Wii U. The Wii U is basically trying to turn the TV into a DS. Yeah. You got a, two screens. Yeah, you know, for that's, sure. That's what they're after. And like right. a patent came out today for the NX. It looks like it's going to have have like a touch screen controller mm-hmm. again. So we're going to see that functionality move on and on. He was a visionary. He was brave. He was a visionary. He died way too young. He was an awesome guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Nintendo three, will never be the thing. same after it. Like, yep. they just won't. The and new the th- president... The 3DS, I think, you know, he was behind that, too. And, you know, they'd been working on that since the Virtual Boy. Like, right. he, he believed in 3D for a long time. 
And um, that to this day, like when I first looked at a 3DS on at, in the Nintendo booth that E3, like we went over to, to see what was going on to see for our tour, yeah. and I looked in in that thing. That was the closest thing to magic I've ever seen on that floor. Oh yeah, like well was, yeah, when you see you 3D, had no idea it was going to look like that or it was going to look that believable, that good, and you're just like, what? Well, 3D without glasses. Yeah. Right then, Why don't like, I okay, have a 3D right. TV that doesn't need glasses? Why don't I have that? Because Nintendo doesn't make TVs. <laughs> exactly. I guess. So. I don't, it's just, it's so many ideas that you would think were like, no. Like on paper or in a meeting, you'd be like, come on. They, yeah. And it's like, and they made it real and they made it happen and they've got it out there and it works and it's super successful. He drove innovation he did. in this industry, period. He had a company that was known for the opposite. Yep. And wow. so I... I think the industry is going to miss him. I don't know what the new president is going to mm-hmm. be like. Uh, the first couple interviews with him have actually floated on the internet the last like four or five days. He seems to be pretty level-headed, but will he have the guts to do what Iwata did? And we need the head of Nintendo to have the mm-hmm. guts that Iwata had. Well, so, I would think they must have some. I mean, I'm sure Iwata had some advice before he he left uh, for the next, you know. The next generation, the next five years, like whatever you have. I'm Hopefully, sure. he laid down some kind of a plan. I hope so. But uh, yeah, so for me, biggest news story, 2015, Awada passing away. Let's get... oddly might be more, uh, I think, repercussions from that than Kojima. Because oh, for Kojima sure. Is one thing, but where Nintendo. Goes... I hope not. Like I hope Nintendo continues down this path of being successful, mm-hmm. trying new things. But you're right, it could. Like he could have been that linchpin that held yeah. everything together. So. Or their next thing could be super successful, and they could come and when they're asked about it, they come out and say, "Well." It was actually Iwata's idea to do it. That would be pretty awesome. And like his legacy could be, you know, he saved he saved Nintendo from beyond the grave. It shouldn't be the Wii U, that's for sure. No. That should not be his no. legacy. So, all right, let's move on. Next category is a fun one. Worst game of the year, mm. Matt. Now, look, this is a category where we're not going to be right. I'm sure all of you watching will probably think of a game that was way worse. There's probably some game on Steam Greenlight that... You can probably watch Let's oh, yeah. Plays for on you can YouTube find a or worst whatever. Game. These are the worst games that we played this year. I didn't play a lot of bad games this year. There frankly. aren't a lot of bad games that come across my desk anymore. Yeah. It just doesn't work that way. So, Matt, what was your pick for worst game? Uh, the worst game I played this year was Godzilla. Godzilla. On the PS4, <laughs> uh, which I played for about 30 hours. Wow. How did <laughs> you play this it. game for 30 hours? Because I'm a big, I'm a big uh, Godzilla fan. And uh, it captures kind of the idiocy of the Godzilla movies. And uh, <laughs> I like Godzilla too, man. Simple, but... brainless, and I played a lot of the weird, like branching stuff. And I unlocked the monsters, and I beat the shit out of things as Ghidorah, and it was fun. I didn't do it all in like one week or anything, but it was like. So why is it the worst game you played? Just because you didn't play many bad games? It didn't. It, I didn't play many bad games. Also, it just doesn't control properly. It's like it, it's it's big and clunky, and it's like those like terrible C list PS2 games you used to be able to find. Like for like five dollars at like fries or something. That typically know? don't exist anymore. No, they really don't. And uh, I was shocked this thing got a retail release. Yeah, frankly. I was, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Uh, I was also shocked they had the balls to charge sixty bucks for it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like twenty five now <laughs> yeah. at this point. But um, it, it actually has a lot of content in it. It's like it's, but it's like I I get like that sometimes. Like I do I did that with Dynasty Warriors Gundam year, several years ago. I played it for like fifty hours. Oh my god! I did everything, and it was every once Why? in a while because every once in a while I just need a brainless, stupid game that I can just like <laughs> sit there and play until I just uh, don't think about it anymore. I, I used to be like is. that, but now I value my time so much. Like I normally I do too, but every once in a while the bug bites me, and yeah. I'm just like I'm I'm gonna play Godzilla for for, for a month. 
month. <laughs> screw, all, screw all you guys. Oh, my God. That's great. All right, well, my pick for the worst game of 2015 is Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 5. <laughs> it literally... They don't make games like that anymore that bad. Yeah, this, they just don't. That may not be my pick just because I didn't play it. Yeah, it is... I was shocked. Again, this is a game, fifty nine ninety nine full retail price, total broken disaster. Like, I don't know how the game came out, Matt. I really don't know how Activision allowed that game to be released. I'm that guessing... license is going to run out. you got to get that game I'm on guessing the there was some kind of a contractual thing yeah. that they had to do, but man. That's the same reason they keep putting Spider-Man games out. I guess. they got to finish their contracts. I mean... They'd have been better off just putting out some like little mobile game like the Ollie Ollie franchise or something mm-hmm. though. I would much rather play Ollie Ollie than Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Five. Like it is just a broken, buggy piece of crap. Like there's no depth to it. The gameplay's been dumbed down. It's even more simple than probably Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Two. Like it just no, it does have the revert. Manual revert, so you can link tricks between objects. So that would put it at around Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3, which is what, about 15 years old now? Uh, almost, yeah. Yeah. I was, I was right alongside the GameCube launch in 2001. Yep, so yeah, exactly. So I was just, I mean, look, the, here's the thing. The developer that made it was the same developer that made the Tony Hawk Shred or whatever, where you had the skateboard peripheral. The yeah. yeah. So I my expectations weren't extraordinary, but I looked at it like, okay, well... They made those other games. People told them those games sucked. And so they would go to work knowing that their prior games sucked and they would make the next game better. And mm. they didn't. No. It, it was still a piece of crap. No. So Not everybody can be Neversoft. No one will ever be Neversoft, Even apparently. Neversoft. Yeah, exactly. No. So that's my pick for the worst game of 2015. Again, I'm sure there's some weird game on Steam Greenlight that is way worse than probably both our picks. But uh, I didn't play them. So that is the worst game that I played in 2015, hands down. All right, so here's a good topic. Hmm. Game we didn't get. Now, we've actually had this topic on Game Face before, but we talked about games throughout history that we didn't mm-hmm. get. And so this is what game in 2015 do you not get? Um, I guess the closest thing to that would be uh, Splatoon. You didn't get Splatoon? I didn't. I, get, I mean, I got it with the Wii, bundle, like, Wii U bundle I bought. Uh-huh. I played it a little bit. And it's you know, it's bright and colorful, and I like the look of it, and I like the characters. I like the, the squids. And you the, liked and, it. I like the character See, that's designs. the part I don't like about it. But, like, um, I mean, I, 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 think it's just, I think it's appealing. You know, I don't, I'm not saying I want to buy the Amiibos. I'm right. just saying, like, you know, I... I that's Amiibo, Matt. I don't <laughs> care. And you can, you, you can... I say it with a capital A, just to piss them <laughs> off. Just, just imagine I say it with a capital A every time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it's it, that, that shit reminds me of when like we got the press pack for the GameCube, and they yeah. said the only way we could, we could refer to it was Nintendo GameCube all in caps. No, yeah, all caps. They want a all GameCube caps. to be written in all in, caps. In like press yeah. shit. In, yeah. in like New York Times articles. Yeah, yeah. All in caps, and yeah. I was like, no, no. And like, and that was no, the journalists actually created like the inner capped version of GameCube. Mm-hmm. Like that was like our way of being like, we're not going to do that, but we'll get, we'll capitalize the C, <laughs> capitalize the cube. <laughs> yeah. that. How about that? It's our olive branch to you. <laughs> but uh, I, I, you know, I played it. It's it's mildly fun, and it, but I just find it like forgettable. Because it has been like a phenomenon. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's I mean, huge. even in Japan, it's huge. It's huge. Here, way, it's huge. way bigger than I thought it would ever be. Yeah. Like I saw that the first time, I was like, well, you know, Nintendo fans will dig it. It'll be something to play on the Wii U, but it'll just sort of fade out. I figured and it would new, sell. I figured it would sell like five hundred thousand copies. That's max. about. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was an optimistic to me. I thought. And yeah. Like, no, uh, that's that's their new big franchise. It I mean, exploded. It's, yeah. It's, it's big. About you know. And I'm not saying anybody who doesn't who likes it is wrong. Right. But I play it. I'm just like I don't, I don't get it. Like, I don't. I, I mean, you know, and it's cool. I, mean, I like the look of it. But like to me, it's just like, well, someone made a shooter out of Mario Sunshine. Great. It's like it's. Like, I don't know. You know. Like I. You should maybe give it another try. I, for probably a try bit. it some more. I mean, I was. I was. You know, I was just like. Because oh, it I'll is try more this. than now that. I'll try, now I'll play Bayonetta too. Now I'll play. You know, I, yeah. I kind of did a big rotation of stuff. Yeah. Um. So I'll probably come back to some point. But I'll, my first. My, you know, after like an hour of playing it, my impression was just like. Okay. I think a lot of people are like you in that they, they maybe haven't played it, just assume that they would not like it. Because I know on Sifted, like, that game, anything we put up for that game just gets, like, no traction from anybody. No one t- talks about <laughs> it. It gets no likes, like, no one-ups. Like, it's just... Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't dislike it. It's just I played it and I'm like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's Next. Weird. The you know, game is like, weird. It's like, I don't know. To me, it was like, it was like bread. Yeah, it was just like cool. I like bread, but like it wasn't like you know. I'm not gonna like ask for a whole meal of bread. You know, it's it's like I need some meat. Yeah, and there's no meat there for me. I'll be interested to hear your take on it. If actually, you give it another chance. I almost I almost bought a Wii U to play it for the Transformers like event they did a few uh, months yeah, ago. Yeah. But then I found it was just you wear different shirts and you know, if you win you're a Decepticon and whatever. So then I was like, oh well, I don't care. Well, if you end up playing it over the holiday. Uh, when we come back next year to start up Game Face again, I'll be interested to hear your take. Right. If it's I'll, different from what you have I'll now. try to dig into it a little more because I, I really haven't played it enough to like critique it in depth. But right. like it, my initial impression was just like I, it felt to me. It felt to me like playing like a uh, like a mobile game that I was just like it's like oh yeah cool that's cool mm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> now I'm gonna forget it's on my phone you know it's right like, right it's pretty much what I've done on the Wii U I just scroll past it and go to Zelda. <laughs> All right, so my pick for this category for games you don't get is no surprise. I've talked about it at length on Game Face before, and that is Bloodborne. I just don't get it. I don't get the fascination. I game's beautiful. Um, I love the art in the game. I love the animation in the game. I love the environments in the game. And truth be told, I like the gameplay in the game. It just, it. I just don't understand why games are made so difficult. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And again. This is coming from, I've talked about this on the show before, this is coming from someone who likes Ninja Gaiden and a lot of difficult games. Um, I, I, I think what bothers me the most is that I love everything about it but that. Like, I want mm. to play this game. I want to finish this game. But I just know that I just don't have the patience or the time to do it. And so I feel like it's this carrot that's, like, dangling in front of me. It's like, and it's the most delicious carrot ever. And I just can't ever get a grasp on it. And, uh... You know, again, since we talk, I've talked about this ad nauseum on the show, I'm not going to flog a dead horse here. But, yeah. And, you know, the other thing, too, is that so many people do like it. And so I feel like I'm the weirdo, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, which I guess I kind of am, because a lot of people do like the game. Um, I really like it. I mean, I would I would put it in my top five of the year, I, yeah. I think. I mean, I, it, I, did, I still haven't finished it. The game is, game is long, and I have not had the time or patience to get good enough to get through some of that stuff. Um, but it really is just like you got to persevere, you got to focus, you got to concentrate, and if you don't have the time for that, you're not going to get. It's not. A, it's not a sit down. I'm just going to play five minutes of Bloodborne. No, like it does, that doesn't do work that like way. that. Yeah, you have to get in the groove and get the timing down for everything. And like, it's you're right. You got to commit like chunks of time mm-hmm. to it. And like, you know, and I booted at, it up for the DLC when the DLC came out a couple weeks ago. I booted it up, 
And uh, I had to play through. I'd go back and play through the beginning part again just to remember how to play. I right. Get, it's. I mean, it. It. You know, if you're not if you're not on the ball at all times, you know, because there's that kind of that that there's sort of the, like a frontier in in the Dark Souls and Bloodborne games where it's like, like this is where your character where you haven't been yet, and as you push yeah. through that, you have to be aware of everything at yeah. all times. You got to be ready. You got to be on on your game. And like sometimes I I'll just like go back Dark and play Souls older. Dark Souls was stuff. worse about that than Bloodborne. Yes, Blood, Dark Souls is much harder, I think. Because Dark Souls, you could literally just wander down the wrong path, and one enemy comes up and is just like, "Hiya!" Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're dead. <laughs> you are much less likely to wander into an area you're not "quote unquote" not supposed yeah. to be in. In that regard, I would say it is easier than yeah. the, the Souls games. And I mean, Dark Souls Two also was much less likely to lead you somewhere you weren't supposed to be. In yeah. That regard. Um, I would, you know, the first two, Demon Souls and Dark Souls are easily the two hardest yeah, so far. For sure. and, and, you know, I can see why some fans are worried that they are getting, you know, I don't think, I don't think getting casual makes sense to say, but I can see why some people think they're getting too friendly. Yeah. Here's what I wish. I just wish it had a difficulty setting. Like, I'm not going to feel bad if I play it on easy. Like, I want to play through the game. I want to see all the bosses. I want to see... All the areas. I want to see the awesome level design mm. that everybody's talked about. But like, Sounds I ha- like maybe you should watch a Let's Play. Yeah. <laughs> no, that is not <laughs> happening. I can tell you, I, that is not going to happen at all. But I want to experience it. Like, I want to fight these enemies, but I don't want to have to fight them a hundred mm. times to beat them. Like, I want to fight them twenty times well, to beat it, them. It sounds maybe like it's a Let's Play you should do. Yeah, that would be hilarious. Watching me play through this Take a whole game. day and like watch Shane fight his way through Bloodborne. Oh man, I should do like a streaming marathon of like Shane versus Bloodborne. <laughs> It'd probably be the most watched stream we've ever done. But Saturborn. Uh, yeah. Again, I respect the game for what it does. The art is amazing. I. Mm-hmm. It is. That's the thing. Is like this is my kind of game. Like I love horror games. I love games with art styles like this. I love the aesthetic of that game out the wazoo. But. I just can't do it. I just can't fight the same guy a hundred times. I just can't do it. It's just not mm. something I enjoy. So I just don't get it. I guess that's the best way to put it. I would say that I think you're better at it than you think you are. Probably. Because I didn't get Dark Souls until I had to fight my way through it for a review. And at the end of that, I was like, oh, that wasn't that bad. I'm not bad at games. No. Like, I can play you really can difficult it. games. I guarantee you can do I just... Don't want to. That's the point. I guess that's the point I've been trying to get at. I don't want to play it. I don't want to. I don't want to fight a guy a hundred times to like get lucky with a dodge so I finally like land that last blow. Oh, like in my soul's experience, there's no such thing as luck. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's luck. Like every once in a while, no. something will happen. He'll turn. The enemy oh, will it's turn. Weird shit. Like yeah. right. But that's not how you succeed in anything. Well, no, you have to be good. Obviously, yeah. you have to get the timing down and everything. I, get I mean, it's that. the closest thing to a fighting game equivalent combat system. I mean, you know, as much as I love The Witcher Three. Uh, its combat system, the one thing that beats it for me is probably Bloodborne. Yeah, that's what kills me. It's like, I want to play it so bad, but I don't want to play it. Mm -hmm. It's so weird. I've never come across a game or a series that's like this for me. I mean, it's hard. Sometimes even when when it was first out, I'm just like, oh, I should play Bloodborne, you know, keep playing Bloodborne. And there's a thing, that voice in my head, it's like, you really want to play Bloodborne right yeah. now. It's like you're in such a good mood. You yeah. know? <laughs> like, and you know, because you never know what I might do real well and like yeah. make get through like three bosses and like it's just like, oh, this was a great time playing Bloodborne. Maybe I'm just off my game that day and I can't even get past a boss I've already beaten before. Yeah. And like I just hate myself for the people rest of who that. love Bloodborne get so mad over like the stuff that I say about Bloodborne too. They get so freaking mad. <laughs> They're just like, oh, I hate you now. It's like, yeah, it's one I'm of just those be games, honest. It's one of those games that gets into you. It gets yeah. into your skin, and it becomes kind of like 
part of your gaming identity, I think. I think that's what it is. So, yeah. it's and like, so for it's someone to, to say that they don't get it or they don't like mm-hmm. it, it's like offensive to them or whatever. But yeah, it is what it is. Different strokes for different folks. Let's move on to this is a big one. Platform of the year. In fact, we're but we're wrapping it up here. We've only got three more or two more categories. Three more categories to go. Yeah. Platform of the year. This isn't like platformer, like right. best Mario game of the year or ukulele or whatever. This is the best platform. So the best console, PC, mm-hmm. whatever. Drum roll. Mm, I'll say my pick for bat- platform of the year is PC. PC. Um, not necessarily because of exclusive stuff or like you know things you can only play on PC. There's a lot of that. Uh, I think just the experience, you know, because I built a new PC. My other one was was five years old, so it was pretty creaky by yeah. the time I got around to this one. Uh, and it's just, you know, the experience is, you know, pretty much, you know, it is a little graphics hoary, but it's like the experience is objectively better on a giant 4K monitor than it is on my, you know, my plasma is very nice, but like the console, you know, again, I think the modern consoles, this generation's console is a little underpowered, and in the end. I don't care so much about 30 frames per second versus 60 frames per second, but I do want it to be stable. Yeah. And the consoles can't even handle that a lot of the time in some of these games, especially the multi-platform stuff. The platform exclusive stuff tends to be rock solid. But like, I've, just I the just, fact that Digital Foundry has to put out like a frame rate analysis yeah. for every single game that comes out, and mm-hmm. I watch every single. Yeah, one. and I'm very concerned. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, when is Shane going to put up the Digital Foundry <laughs> thing? And like, you know, it felt like Just Cause Three. I didn't get Just Cause Three because yeah. I just didn't trust it on any platform. Yeah, yeah that's why. Um, but yeah, and of course, there's also like you can get like ridiculous. I just got like some crazy bundle on Bundle Stars that includes all 3D Realms old games and a bunch of other stuff. It was like 2.99 for like 40 games, and I was like, well, here's a bunch of stuff I can dabble with and never really play fully. But like, it's just in terms of the value for the money and and the experience you get. I think PC has uh, so really here, proven itself. I can't that. let you off the hook on this one, Matt. I got, I, I'm going to have to ask you some tough questions here. All right. So what may it sounds to me by your rationale that the PC should be platform of the year every year. Maybe. I don't know how I'll feel about that next year when you've got all these crazy PlayStation exclusives coming out. But there were lots of exclusives for both Xbox One and PlayStation 4 and Wii U, for that matter, this year. I mean, here's the thing. So once I got your awards and we were trying to put together footage for the show, I was like, what do I show for Mm. this? And so... What we're showing is StarCraft 2 because it's like the biggest PC exclusive from the year. But beyond that, like, I couldn't think of any game that I could only play on PC that was excellent. It's like every game now, every PC game comes out on consoles, but not every console game comes out on PC. So, I don't know. I guess I have a hard time seeing your logic for picking PC here. And other than the fact that you just got like a beastly one well, and like, logic you're blown that, away by like my logic is that the games are better on it. They run better. They're they're you know the frame rate's better. They're you know they play better. And like, the controllers are the same. And you can't you can use, use the same controllers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that was a lot one of my big problems with PC for a long time was I couldn't use a decent controller and now you can use pretty much anything you want. Um and you know, and yeah, and also offers other things like you know, I love, I you know, I got Zettelblade running on Dolphin, and you can do that on that plot. You know, there's a yeah. lot of like weird little tweaks you can make to things. Fallout 4's inventory system pissed me off, so Mods. I just modded it to stop doing that. You know, yeah. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of more flexibility to it, and um, or or stuff like you know, like Dark Souls, where like you know, the uh, Durante wrote like that, you know, the widescreen fix, and now he's put out you know a bunch of fixes for other games, and he's got that 
thing that can help you downsample stuff if you need to run something you know on a lower lower end PC, but you want to run it in 4K. You know, there's stuff that you're not going to get out of the out of the consoles. And I'm not saying I don't like the consoles. I mean, I played PS4 almost as much as my PC this year. I think you know, it, it's it, you know, th- there's great stuff on there on there too. But um, in terms of if I had to pick one platform that I like, you know, got the best gaming experience out of this year, it was PC. Not because of what was only on it, but because of what it could do. Yeah, I guess I can kind of see your 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 point. And I'm trying to I'm trying I'm saying that in like you know irrespective of price, you know, obviously yeah, yeah, yeah it's a four hundred dollar PlayStation Four versus like a two thousand dollar PC. You spent more gonna, than that, I bet. But it, you're, you're talking <laughs> about your average PC to run stuff at that yeah. level. That's about what you're going to spend unless yeah. you're like really bargain hunting cheap ass gamer, you know. Yeah, I mean the other part of it too though is that you know for most people they have to play the PC sitting at a desk and like. You know, when you say the experience is better on PC. Yeah, well, I'm not telling PC. anybody to get a Steam box. But, right. You know, but what me. I'm saying is, like, you were saying how the experience is better on PC, but in my opinion, like, the slight bump in visuals isn't worth, like, sitting in a chair like this playing a game. Like, when I, I, can, sit in a chair when like I can kick back on my couch with my feet up on the ottoman, like, I don't know. Like, well, that, See, I do, I kick back on this giant cushy chair with my feet up on the couch to the side of the desk yeah. and play the controller. Yeah. I play I Life is Strange on the PC with a controller, and I never touch the keyboard. So. Yeah, I guess it depends on how you have your stuff set up. But yeah. I think most people have their PC somewhere else, like in I a think, yeah, spare sure. bedroom yeah. or in a den or whatever. But I think a lot of those people also have it set up to be comfortable. And yeah. Now, now that you can use controllers and like they, they, you know, like Steam, you know, big picture stuff, and like I, you know, I think that now the PC platform, not platform, but like. You know, like Steam and the, and God Galaxy and stuff like they've you know p- developers on the PC have finally sort of discovered like hey the user experience on consoles you know is real seamless and 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 easy and and intuitive so let's like emulate that as much as we can and I think they're really getting there now yeah um, and I'll tell you this much I bet you're going to uh, appreciate that PC a lot more if you end up really into VR next year yeah for sure. Um, so I yeah. just felt like I don't know. I feel like there's other years where PC would have probably been more deserving of platform of the year than this year. Because there are I, years where the PC does have like oh, some sure. kick-ass exclusive games. But I don't care about exclusive so much as the experience. I don't really care where something is. I just want to play it. You know, yeah. like I don't want a PC version of Uncharted. Like, but 4 here's the thing: like you're not to. playing it on the PC if they're exclusive console games. Yeah, I didn't do that this year really. Yeah, like the big games for me. It was only one. Or two games this year that were big for me that were exclusives. Um, one of them being uh, Bloodborne. Yeah. Uh, and one of Forza. them. Forza. Yeah, I like Forza, but it didn't, this one didn't. I like the Forza Horizon games better, frankly, at this point. Um, Rise of the Tomb Raider, which is not exclusive for long, but I yeah. did play it on the Xbox One, obviously. Yeah. Um, would I have played it on the PC if given the choice? Yes, probably yeah. would, because they. The, the hair physics, man. <laughs> hair physics. Yeah, I'm sure that game's gonna look stunning on PC. Yeah. I don't know if I'll play it again on PC. Again, that's the thing. Is like, while I do think it's an ex- a superior experience in that regard, like I don't think it's superior enough to do it again. Right. You know, it's not yeah. like it doesn't change the game. You know, I don't yeah. feel like someone who played The Witcher Three on PS4 or Xbox One got a distinctly inferior experience. I'm not a PC warrior like yeah. that. You know, not like oh, if you didn't play it in 60 frames a second on the PC, you didn't really play the game. It's like no, fuck you. Like yeah. it's like you played the game. Like you know. Yeah. It's pl- it's super playable on anything, you know. I, I, so I don't. Well, buy you can that. also kind of learn to look over the technical limitations a lot of yeah. times, and I still appreciate look, a man, game for what it is. Like I don't know who how these sixty frames per second warriors. Uh, I guess they didn't live through the early graphics cards. They we definitely like, never owned an N sixty four. We were just thrilled to get twenty <laughs> frames a second out of Unreal Tournament, right. and it's just like, yeah, guys, good thing you weren't around. When we were trying to tweak Quake to work properly <laughs> on this shit. 
Or the early like 3D consoles. Oh yeah. Where they would chug along at 10 one, frames per second. Like, where it's like, I don't even know what that is. Or the N64. What is that? That's a bear? Okay, sure. I don't well, know. Right. Well, like Rare's games, they're so heralded. But you go back and play them now, and I mean, they literally, parts of them run at like 12 to oh, 15 frames a second. Yeah. yeah. But I, mean, I it, loved every minute of it. It's amazing what they pulled out of that system for like Perfect Dark. But you play it now, and you're like, oh. Whoa. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> yep. All right. So my platform of the year is... Xbox One. Really? Yep. Xbox One. It had the best exclusives this year. To me, all these platforms have all the same crap. Even PC included. PC, PS4, Xbox One, 95% of the content is all the same. So for me, platform of the year, a lot of it goes to which system had the best and most exclusives. And the fact of the matter is that Xbox One had the most exclusives and, for my money, had the best exclusives. I mean... It's no coincidence that Sony has admitted, and I will say admit because that's basically what they did, that they had a terrible first-party lineup for 2015. And well, a so, lot of it slipped to 2016. Right. And look, they're going to have a great year next year. They didn't have a great year this year. No, I don't, second half of the year for Sony was pretty dead. I mean, if you really look at like which consoles should have sold the best in 2015, it sure the hell shouldn't have been the PlayStation 4. And Call of Duty. Going back exactly, going back to some of the stuff that you were saying about you know having the better experience, and I you know I there's definitely value in that, and I understand that. So the third party games typically, I don't I wouldn't even say that they look better on PlayStation Four because like I I would the, the digital foundry video shows they look a little better if you have li- them side by side and someone throws it in out ultra slow they, motion. Yeah. But when you're playing the games, it's very hard to see. Right. I mean the frame rate, I think. Typically, because Xbox One games are 900p, they're usually about the same, like as far as frame rate is concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, but every once in a while, there is a game that's kind of significantly better on PS4. So I do understand that, and I appreciate that. You know, that's a big part of kind of why you decided on the PC. But for me, it's content. Like either I get to play this game or I don't get to play this game. And Xbox had a ton of games that I got to play only on Xbox One: Rise of the Tomb Raider, a new Halo, um, the Forza. Forza. I mean. Even the Master Chief Collection, you know, to play all those games again, even though the online sucked or whatever. Well, but... you could finally use the online this year, so that's kind of a 2015 yeah, yeah. release. So. And I mean, I look back at the PlayStation Ori. 4's exclusive. Yeah, I mean, the indie stuff is is golden. But you go back, you look at the PlayStation 4, and it's like, what did I really play on that that was exclusive to PlayStation 4 this year? Like You're saying the Order 1866 didn't. Right. Didn't I mean, that was away. a bad game. It was a pretty game, but it was a bad game. And then there was Bloodborne, which you know I know a lot of people love, but you know I didn't really get into. So, and this is my award. This isn't me telling everybody else what they should think the best platform for 2015 is. Mm-hmm. This is my opinion. The Xbox One was the best platform for 2015. And next year, it's going to be real tough for Xbox One to win again because PlayStation 4 is really going to come into its own in 2016. This was probably Xbox One's kind of last for hurrah in that regard. But we'll see. Xbox One's got some stuff in the plan. We got some crackdown. We got some scale bound. Yeah. But that's pretty much it. Well, well I'm sure there's stuff we don't know about. Gears may make it next year. Sunset Overdrive 2? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think, I don't think you'll see, never see another Sunset Overdrive. I think Man. that one's one and done. Man, I love that game. But uh, the PlayStation 4 lineup next year is ridiculous. And yeah, because so, half of it is like this year's. Yeah. Exactly. Well, supposed to be this regardless year's. of why, <laughs> if it had been this year... Yeah, well, that's like you get, a, you, know, you get a lackluster second half of 2015 in exchange for like ridiculously packed 2016. And truth be told, if a lot of those games that were delayed into next year had come out this year, I would probably mm-hmm. end up selecting the PlayStation but 4 But I bet for they're going to be better... Because oh, they have right. The time. They'll be better for it. And look, Xbox lost Quantum Break, and it got moved into next year. So whatever. 
All you can do is evaluate what's here, Matt. And for me in 2015, Xbox One was the better console to own. So I'm sure the chat's going insane right now over that one, but that's my my opinion. So I would just like the Xbox One's OS to catch up to the 360s at some point. Yeah. That'd be nice. Yeah, I'd agree. The OS is awful. I don't, think, I don't think the OS is, is very good on the PS4 either, but at least it's a, it's a leap ahead of the PS3. It's way snappier than Xbox One's. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. is like, Xbox One is so slow. And I, well, the main thing is, like, weird little things like when we're in a party and the party crashes, because that happens. You know, yeah. the party just dies. Why doesn't the Xbox One tell me that the party failed? Because yeah. the 360 did. Well, they're probably like, and you're, if you, you're not hearing anyone else anymore, you should know that the well, yeah, party Yeah, because I think everybody's quiet. Right. And, like, yeah. you know, and then like, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, no one's in the party and the system didn't tell me that. Whereas yeah. like, if you if you load up like Gears of War and you do a party for that and play Gears of War on the backwards compatibility, that feature is still in the Xbox 360 like emulator I they're know, running. It's and it's just like, guys, it's yeah. right there. It is, yeah. Unfortunately, it's not that simple. I guess not, but like I just—I mean that—I just feel like. No, I hear be, you. The OS on Xbox One definitely has issues. They're going to be playing catch up on that OS for the rest of the generation, just because. Probably so. You look at where the OS was for Xbox 360 at this time in its yeah. lifespan. It was—I'd take that right now on Xbox for One. For sure. <laughs> Give me the blades back. <laughs> That's I'm, hilarious. I'm fine. That's so funny. All right, so we're about to move into our last two categories of the awards. If you guys have any questions. For us, you should probably start asking them now to deal with the delay and everything. Try to keep them on topic as far as like game of the year. Maybe there's a category that we haven't uh, went through that you want us to maybe give a quick opinion on or something like that. Um, try to keep it away from just the general Q&A that we usually do at the end of the show. So here it is, Matt. So we're not going to mm-hmm. do the last top. The, the last award is not game of the year. We're going to do game of the year right now. And then the last award will be most anticipated game of 2016. So if some of you guys are typing that already. Like you <laughs> can stop because we're going to, we're going to answer that for you guys. So here we go. The mm-hmm. biggest one for 2015 game of the year. Matt, what is your runner up? For Game of the Year 2015. Game of the Year runner-up would be uh, Xenoblade Chronicles X. Wow. Um, That's I, insane. I will admit that I'm not done with it. I'm, on, I'm only about 35 hours in, <laughs> so I'm just starting, really. But maybe that's part of the reason um, why. Part of it. Uh, I mean, yeah, I love Zen, the first Xenoblade. That's no secret. Um, I don't think the story in this one is up to par with the other one. It's, it's much more standard anime story. Yeah. Uh, but... The size of it, the complexity, I kind of like how it just throws you into stuff. And I just, I'm st- like 35 hours in, I'm finally just, I'm like, oh, I just discovered uh, two nights ago the fashion menu. Yeah. Where you can, <laughs> you, if you don't like the clothes you wear for these stats, you can put another set of clothing on that doesn't affect your stats. It just looks cool. Right. And I'm like, that's good. So, but I just found that. It's, uh, oh, the game is insanely deep. It's And, and you know, I will say this. I, um... I think there's ga- there are games that had more like narratively coherent uh, open worlds, yeah. but I don't know if I've ever seen an open world that felt more like a real biome, right? A real, like a real, a real like, living thing that planet. can exist. Yeah, yeah, like just running through the legs of these giant dinosaur alien things that are drinking from the lake while you're like, we you know, and the fact that like a lot of the life life on the planet doesn't attack you unless you attack it, so which means you can like. You can go to you can areas, observe, yeah. yeah, and look at things, and like you're level like twenty, and they're level sixty, and you're just like these things could kill me in half a shot <laughs> if they wanted to. Yeah. But like you're just sort of weaving between their legs and like finding like collectibles and stuff, and like just sort of navigating the planet and like the way it, it's it the na- really the planet navigation was really smartly done. Yeah, especially yeah. with the gamepad and and how you can fast travel anywhere you found, yeah. and you you want to plant the. 
you know, and I've had a great time just wandering around trying to plant all the the data probes that like let you fast travel places. Yeah. Like, I mean, I love that in any open world game, but like just trying to figure out how to get places is yeah. great. And like the different biospheres you go into, different continents all have a different thing. And like the other thing is like. I kind of like to make fun of James Cameron's Avatar a little bit because I didn't think that movie was very good. Uh, but one of the things about it is that, like, it had almost zero impact on the culture. Like, no one quotes Avatar. No one refers to Avatar. There was really no, no one memorable quotes it. in no. the movie. But, and I always kind of like, for the, for the number one movie of all time, Unadjusted. Which is pretty um, mind-blowing. Because it was a ride. It was a yeah. theme park ride, basically, with a 3D ride, right? Yeah. Um, for something that big... It's weird how it had almost no influence on anything. It really hasn't, yeah. And uh, this, but I play Xenoblade Chronicles X, and I'm like, they, Avatar was definitely an influence on this world in terms of like, you know, there's the bioluminescent continent, and there's like just the floating rock stuff, and and like, it's the first time I've seen Avatar taken as an inspiration and really turned into something like, like, like unique and interesting, and they they did a better Avatar than than Avatar yeah. you know, in terms of like creating this planet. Well, the story is pretty much on par with Avatar. Yeah, the story is also <laughs> about as cliched and predictable yeah. as you can imagine. And like, but and like the funny thing is like the main story doesn't even grow. I like the Affinity missions where it's like weird side character yeah, stuff, yeah. Uh-huh. and like some of it's just you know play like that standard sort of like anime series like cartoony comedy stuff. And I'm just like, Ugh. like <laughs> as soon as the fat little alien merchant guy showed up and like I decided roll. to be your sidekick the whole time I was like oh boy I'm here it's like now. me playing Just Cause 3 I can't tell yeah. you how many times I've rolled my eyes playing that game but I will just <laughs> I mean I will run out there and into the world and go find stuff and look at stuff and oh, I'll do this now I'll do this now I'll look at this now I can do this and I'll just like load up on quests and go run around and find shit and like I mean, multiple times I've looked. You know, I've started to play it, and I've looked up, and it's five in the morning, and I was yeah. like, "How? How did all that go away?" And, and it's, it's, so, yeah. In terms, I don't know. Maybe I'll end up hating it or get tired of it at this point. But I'm almost forty hours in, and at this point, I'm just like, I gotta bring this thing, this console, with me everywhere I go uh, from the next six months, so I yeah. can keep playing over the holidays, yeah. back to your parents' house and whatnot. But it's at least uh, the Wii is small. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of pieces, but it fits in a bag. Yep, that's for sure. I think that's a solid pick. I think people might be a little surprised by that, though. Yeah, well, I love a good JRPG, and this is a good JRPG. All right. Yeah, I'm very critical of them, for the most part, and I think there haven't been a lot of great ones in recent years, but uh, that the team at Monolith... And it, and it surprises me, too, because I hated Xenosaga, yeah. and I, I'm not a fan of Xenogears. Uh, and for a while there, I'm just like, if, a, if an RPG has Xeno in it, I'm not playing it. It's <laughs> terrible. But the Xenoblade games, like, they, I don't know what they did, but they turned a corner that, like, it's exactly what I want. Digital crack. All right, my, follow, or my uh, runner-up for Game of the Year is Fallout 4. Mm. Probably not that surprising, I would mm. say. For most people, I think everyone who's played the game has enjoyed it, at least moderately. Um, I really got into it. I had a blast with it. Um, I liked the crafting. I liked the addition of the homesteading stuff. I liked building my little environments. I liked reaping the rewards from it. I wish it was a little woven into the actual main quest of the game a little bit. Mm -hmm. Because it felt like it was just kind of this thing that was tacked on to the side of it. And it didn't really have a bearing on sort of your success through the main quest. Um, But I think that's not really what Fallout was about anyway. I didn't think it was really about the main quest. Because like you were saying about some of the side missions that you've come across in other games. Like some of the side missions you come across in Fallout are freaking amazing. Like 
just random people you'll run into in the middle of the wilderness where there's nobody around and they're just doing the weirdest stuff or they have like the craziest story to tell you. And then they give you like a quest that is like seems insane and you go on this quest and you come back and there's this dude just standing there waiting for you to come back like I just I I got a nice uh, one thing I liked about it too is the companion system. I built a nice uh connection to all my companions and it was always difficult to figure out which one I wanted to take out on a mission and they all had kind of their own strengths and weaknesses which is one thing I felt like you know Metal Gear Solid 5 really didn't have like I felt like once I got quiet I just used quiet through the whole game well, I wish it was a way to shut her up yeah <laughs> exactly at a certain point in that game I was like she's gonna hum that forever yeah. really <laughs> okay yeah and I love the diversity of this game, too, all the different environments. I felt like the world was really kind of like what you said with Xenoblade. I felt like the world was fully realized and, like, you know, how they built, like, the towns out of just junk. Like, it's just a... If you'd imagine what society would be would look like and would act like after a nuclear holocaust as it tries to rebuild it, it has limited resources. I just feel like they've realized it perfectly. Um, I love that they had finally got the gameplay up to at least, like, tolerable first-person shooter standards. Like, I didn't feel like I was playing a janky first-person shooter whenever mm. I played it this time. In fact, I relied on VATS far less than I did in Fallout 3, which I thought was great, because, honestly, I, I felt like VATS in Fallout 3 was something that they put in there just because they couldn't get the shooting right. Well, I mean, it's in there because it's always been in Fallout. Yeah, but I don't know. I just felt like... It was it, a crutch. I felt like sure. it was a crutch and a conceit, whereas now, like, I don't have to use it if I don't want to, and it actually made it more rewarding for me because I use it whenever I really needed it and so I got a sense of accomplishment out of using it instead of just spamming it in every fight that I got into. I will give them credit for like, unlike Fallout 3 in New Vegas, in this one there have been times where I'm just like, well, I'm going to get this done faster if I just do it real time. Yeah. And that was super, no I don't, I can't, I could probably count on two hands the number of like sniper shots I took without VATS. And oh, yeah. Person. And I mean, and I, this one I do it all the time. Oh, literally. I used VATS probably, in Fallout 4, probably 25% of my battles. Seriously. Like, mm -hmm. I hardly ever use it. I used it when I really needed it. I mainly use it when I run into an enemy whose, like, animations are really hard to headshot. Yeah. That's, yeah, a, that's right. pretty much what it's for. Like, yeah, like insects. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, insects. I use it on insects every time. Those ghouls that, like, jump around. That dodge, uh, yeah. And, like, usually for that last headshot on a Meyer Lurk. Yeah. And the value I got out of the game, I played it for, I think it literally ended up being like 70 hours, and there was still a crap ton of game left to play, mm -hmm. and I hadn't really got tired of it, I just kind of needed to move on to play other games, and I feel like I probably will go back to it eventually. DLC I'm excited about. Um, again, it was a complete package. It didn't have like much connectivity or anything in the way of like online functionality. Which is kind of disappointing for a game of that stature in this day and age when you see the stuff that games like Bloodborne does and things like that. Um, but I felt it was a complete game, not the prettiest game, obviously. And it's had its issues. I didn't really experience a ton of bugs like a lot of other people did. Um, I just had a blast with it. I really enjoyed it. I got totally sucked into it, kind of like how you are with Xenoblade. Like, you just get sucked into the world, and mm -hmm. next thing you know, like, a full work week has passed by that you've yeah. been playing the game. So I think uh, the only thing holding me back from getting that way with Fallout 4 was that I'd played Fallout 3 for 120-some yeah. hours. And I See, I never, like... I never played Fallout 3 like that. It was yeah. like... Ryan Stevens reviewed it for game trailers, mm -hmm. and so I played it enough so I could have an intelligent conversation about it for the Game Awards, but I think it amounted to, I like... I think I reviewed it for X-Play. I, th yeah. I think so. And then I played all the DLC. I mean, Fallout 4 is so similar to 3 
uh, that like I just feel like I've done it before in a yeah. lot of ways. I can and see so, that. If I had played already a game like this for a hundred hours, I could mm-hmm. definitely see where the impact of Fallout Four would be. Made. And I guess I mean I don't. It was maybe not smart to think so, but I was kind of hoping it would be something close to the leap over Fallout Three that Skyrim was over Oblivion, and it just isn't. Yeah. And while I don't dislike it, I played it. You know, I'm probably. I think I'm probably. A th- 40 or 50 hours in a Fallout 4 and I haven't played it much since Battlefield. That's, a, that's enough to have an informed opinion. But like, for sure. But again, you know, and it's certainly more Fallout. No no such thing as bad more Fallout. Yeah. Unless you're talking about that uh, Brotherhood of the whatever that console one where it was like a Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance ripoff. That yeah. was terrible. But um, more Fallout is never bad. Uh, I just hope that they move on to a new engine next time. Yeah, that'd be great. All right, so the moment has come. Where we name, name our game of the, of the year. year. We can say this one together, Matt. All right. All right. And so the 2015 Sifted Game, game of, of the year, year is The Witcher 3. 3. We both agree Surprise. on this one. <laughs> yeah. We, we actually, kinda, I think I kind of tipped my hand on Tuesday because I was like, they got it right. Yeah. <laughs> we were talking about the Game Awards. But honestly, it wasn't even a question, Matt. It, no. I don't even... Like, it, it's... It was a competition for number, for runner up. Yeah, there's no like not even light years ahead of anything else. It really year. is. Like I, there wasn't even a consideration. In no. fact, I I kind of figured like when I played it, I was like, how is anything going to beat this game? Yeah, I said the same thing. I mean, I was ready for something to beat it. I was ready for Fallout to beat it. I was ready for Battlefront to beat it. Uh, but that just didn't happen. Didn't know a lot. A lot of games came in way short of yeah. expectations this year. That's yeah, one thing did. I would say. But this is not one of them. And no. that's the thing. This one exceeded expectations. Yeah. And even though they were sky high, it still beat them. Yeah. And I'm a huge fan. I mean, I've been a fan of this game, this series since the first one came out on PC in 2007. Or, I mean, God, yeah. it's a long time. Um, you know, and I, I mean, I love that game's world. I love the world of The Witcher. Uh, although I do agree with like when they, the first Shots of Blood and Wine came out this week. And so, Which know, looks amazing. It looks amazing. They're big, bright vineyards from like kind of a yeah. fake Italy-France combination kind of thing. And there were people in a thread going like, wow, it looks amazing. I'd love to visit and I visit that place. And I was like, no, no, you, you, wanna, you don't want to visit the world of the Witcher. The world of the Witcher is horrible and violent and <laughs> dirty. And you'll, you'll die in various ways by yeah. monsters that are everywhere. But like Not just, just monsters either. Just the, I mean, it's, it's so unlike anything else, any other world in gaming. It right really now, is, yeah. Because it's just got this Eastern Europe. European bleakness yeah, to it. Yeah, it's not like it's not and, traditional fantasy, but it has shades of it. Yeah. Like, but it also like it's got like elements of like old fairy tale, like the original versions of fairy tales where monsters cooked children and ate their skin. Right, and stuff. right, yeah. And like you know, and the solutions for horrible things are usually more horrible than the horrible thing in the first place. But at least it's over quick, kind right? Of thing. Yeah. You know, and like it's you know weird like twists and turns in terms of how the lore works and. And, like, how everybody just sort of accepts that there's, like, there's these monsters that come out of the water and eat corpses. And if you yeah. go too close to the beach, they're going to fucking kill you. Yeah. It's like, and like, But I also like it's, that it's, there's a juxtaposition, too. There's a levity about the game. Yeah. It's got a nice humor to it. And, like, it's not just, like, games like Bloodborne. They're just very oppressive. And, oh, like, yeah. when you play them, you kind of get in this weird, like, funky mood. But this game, like... It takes you, like, through peaks and valleys. It's like, it'll go up, it'll go down. It'll go up, it'll go down. And it, it keeps you guessing. Like, you, they did a great job, I felt, like, mixing up the quests. So you never were doing, like, the same thing over. I never felt like the game got repetitive. I never felt like the game failed to be clever. 
Um, I never grew tired of the combat in the game. The game is absolutely freaking gorgeous. It's like, um, it's like games used to be. It used to be that games, like, the graphics got better as you went. Like, the designers mm-hmm. would, like, they have a great first couple levels to get you hooked in, and then there'd be, like, a little lull in the middle. And then, like, you get towards the end of the game, and they would just start stacking on, like, these sick-looking levels, like, one after another. And I feel like games have gotten away from that, but The Witcher 3, I feel like, does that. Like, mm-hmm. I felt like the farther I got in the game, the more compelled I was to want to see more of it. And, like, there's just not enough games that do that anymore. Like, there's yeah. some games that have come out this year. Like, I was just talking about Just Cause 3. Like, oh, it's a one-trick pony. It's like, hey, here's blow stuff up with, like, your grapple hook. And, like, it's... This is just a whole other league of video game, mm-hmm. Matt. I guess is the best way that I can and put it. And it was made, we found out this week from their business call, we found out it was made for $80 million. Yeah. <laughs> hey. They're... Less than half of Grand Theft Auto V. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't if... think they'll make as much money as Grand Theft Auto V did. Probably either, not, but, but I'm just saying, like, like, that's a real smart, judicious use of $80 million. Oh, my gosh, To yes. make this oh, yeah. out of that. And it's they're going to reap the rewards of it, and deservedly so. And I, to this, you know, I'm like, what, 120-some hours into this game? And, like, just the other night, I had I, some quest took me to the top of some, like, really tall mountain in Skellige, in the island area. And I got to the top, and it was snowing. It was, like, yeah. there was snow up top, and the sun was setting, and it was, like, there were, like, god rays coming through the trees on the top of it, and, like... And like, and it was just this moment where I came up around over the top of the mountain. I was like, "Wow, yeah, that's really no, nice." That, ha- that I'm happened like, to me. 120 over hours and into this game, and it's game. still like blowing me away with like quick little vistas like that. And yeah. I'm just like, "How? How do you still have that?" Right. See, I started looking back at the other games like Fallout 4, Metal Gear Solid 5, and it's like, you play the first like five hours of, the, of those games, and you've kind of played the whole rest of the game, like. Yeah. This game is just constantly surprising, like, the diversity of... That's why I was saying, like, best graphics for this game. It's, like, the variety of environments that they've created for this game is just stag. The whole thing mm. is just staggering. And to, to, for it to be that polished... I mean, look, I know there's bugs in it. There's bugs in every game now because somebody decided to put a hard drive in a console. But <laughs> the, what they accomplish with, the, like, the bug-per-hour quotient of this game right. is, like, through the roof. It's, and they've been really aggressive about fixing it and getting things working and addressing bugs the community finds and they're having a problem. You know, there was that one patch they put out that had like 800 fixes in it. Right, I mean, yeah. They, these guys... They've C- done the DLC yeah. right. CD Projekt like, Red, like, is a consumer-focused company in terms of how they take care of their product after it's released and I really hope some other companies take a hard look at what these guys are doing and start doing stuff more like it. Yeah. Because they do it right. Yeah, I, this has one, been one of the most clear-cut game of the years for me, maybe ever. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't even hard. I mean, mm-hmm. once I finally played, like, once I put some quality time into Xenoblade Chronicles X and Rainbow Six Siege, there was, those were kind of the last two games that I really needed to play. It was just plain as day. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what the chat's like right now, but if I'm guessing anyone who says we're crazy for picking that game just simply hasn't probably played that much of it because... There's really nothing in its league. All right, so we're going to go to, well, not our award, so to speak. We're going to now name our most anticipated mm. games of 2016. And this made, this was way harder than picking the game of the year. Uh, one of them was harder. Do you think? 
My, my number one pick for most anticipated game was not any harder than Witcher 3. Really? No question. Wow. Okay, well, let's start first with your honorable mention, Matt. Honorable mention would be Uncharted 4. Okay. Uh, I'm a big Uncharted fan. I'm a big Naughty Dog fan. Uh, I wish Amy I Hennig... I think everybody is. Yeah, I wish Amy Hennig was still writing it, but uh, I'd also rather have uh, an Amy Hennig uh, Star Wars game yeah. than I would another Uncharted game. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I like what I've seen. I, liked what I, I really liked what I saw at um, the Game Awards, uh, what they showed there. Uh, his brother and everything. I'm, I'm into that. I want to know more about it. I love these characters. I will play these characters until they stop letting me play them, which sounds like it's probably going to be this game. Yes, it sounds like in uh, two months that will, yeah. be, that will be solved for you. But I'm a huge fan of the series, and I just I want to spend more time with those characters. And, you know, that's it. You, know, you, got, you had me on Uncharted. Yeah. I mean, my concern is the gameplay. I mean, it looks okay, but... I think they're right for this being the last one because I feel like it's just kind of... There's not much more you can do with it, really. I mean, I even felt this playing Rise of the Tomb Raider where I felt like the formula... Because, look, they are pretty much the same games. I'll tell you this. If you want to make start making Uncharted games that are more like uh, Telltale games, I'll play those. Really? Yeah. I love those characters. I'll, I'll, I'll spend more time with those characters. I don't care what the gameplay is. I mean, I, I like the jumping and the shooting and all that shit. But if it's just like more stories with these characters, especially with Sully, uh, everybody loves Sully. Like I'll, you know, even he's he, one of the greatest characters in video games because he's yeah. like everybody's like uncle. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and he's also kind of like everybody. Like you know, every once in a while, Sully's the one who has to say what the player's thinking. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, like, he is kind of the conscious. Like, hey, of the... what are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> like why can't we just grab gold things? You yeah. know, it's like and it's like yeah, you're right. That's what I'm wondering too. I'm wondering how you guys are out of money, and I've collected sixty fucking gold treasures over the course of this damn game. <laughs> And an alien artifact from Ratchet and Clank. How are you guys not millionaires? <laughs> but yeah, Uncharted, super into it. And of course, it's beautiful. And I want to see what, what you know, if, if that's what they showed for E3, who knows what else is in this game. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's going to be graphically. It already is graphically mind-blowing. Yeah. Like, there's nothing, visually, there's nothing in this game's class. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, not on PC, not anywhere. Like, what they're getting out of the hardware of the PlayStation 4 is, like, mind-blowing, yeah, dude. The like, detail in the environment work is just insane. Like, I don't know... Just the the details of everything, dude. Like, I was watching that one, like, developer doc they put out where they showed, like, the one scene where the Jeep had, like, flipped over on top of him. And just the little detail they put into that, because there's, mm-hmm. like, a flame burning on the ground next to him. And they showed how they had, like... Worked on every object on the cockpit of that Jeep so that the fire was like interacting. And it's like it's a mm-hmm. two second shot that you see. And the work that, I mean, it is just yeah. it's well, that's staggering. Like, like in, the, in the video for Me 3 where, they, where he's being dragged behind the, the car and like just like swinging through the mud yeah. and knocking stuff over. Look, like just like one of the, like the market stalls or whatever he knocks over, all the stuff that falls out oh, of that, yeah. and then like look at the next one, and none of it's repeated. Oh, I know. And it's like there's more detail in the stuff he knocks over in that scene than in entire game levels from other games. It's and here's the thing, like I feel like I may get tired of the gameplay in this game pretty quick, but I think the graphics in this game are so good that it'll just totally pull me through the whole game. Well, also, Naughty Dog is another developer that knows to do what you said with The Witcher 3, where like, they keep showing you better and cooler things yep, as, as you it go goes. through. Yep, you're absolutely right. Yep. With a couple set-piece moments set here and there. Yeah. Yep. All right, so my first runner-up for most anticipated game of 2016 is The Last Guardian. What? <laughs> 
I can't tell you, Matt. This is like actually kind of a joke. Any of any of the people who know me from GT know that this is kind of an inside joke because literally at game trailers, we would do most anticipated for everything. For like Tokyo Game Show, for E3, for GDC, <laughs> and every single list we would put The Last Guardian on it. Everyone. Because there would always be some kind of like one day. glimmer of no, there would always be like a glimmer of hope. Like a little news thing would come out and be like, oh, we're still working on it. We'd be like, whoa, well, GDC's coming up. So that means <laughs> he, now that he's talking now, that must mean that, yeah, he's going to have it at GDC. Or, and then everyone would be, be like, Game Show has picked Last Guardian. It's the most anticipated. Yeah. They must know something. <laughs> said, no, they like, would. No, they totally would. No, they don't. It's just wishful thinking. <laughs> and so I feel like if I did not have this at least as my runner-up, for most anticipated of 2016, I would be betraying myself in some way, <laughs> some foolish way. So, there you have it. The Last Guardian, mm. I believe it is going to finally come out. I think so. Yeah. That'll be a risky pick in our fantasy draft, won't it? Yeah. Cause, well, because here's <laughs> yeah, because who know Here's the thing. I mean, I'm a Team Eco fanboy for sure. I mean, Shadow of the Colossus is my favorite game of all time. Yeah. I would put that at my number one of all time. I am terrified of this game because I just <laughs> don't know. Like, yeah. I don't know if it's going to be any good. Like. It'll be it'll be a game I've waited twelve years for. We all have. And how how does it live up to what I ex- I wanted? To? I don't even know what it is, frankly. I mean, is I'm... it just like running around doing eco shit with a bird dog? Like I don't know. I, I, like what is it? Well, like, you can see right here what it is. You're doing but is that all it with is? a big dog with wings. Is that all it is? <laughs> is there more to it? I don't know. I don't know. Seems like there's like puzzle platforming for the most part is pretty much what it is. But it's like, like there's I mean, a whole like feed feed trico yeah. thing and But there's I mean clearly there's an eco influence here, but what if there's a Shadow of the Colossus influence? What if there's giant monsters well, you I think have there to are There's a big monster right I mean, there. Yeah, but yeah. what if he has to fight other giant monsters? I would what hope if, he what does. If, what if you train I've, him? I've counted on it for twelve years that you're fighting big monsters. What if he doesn't? What if that doesn't happen? What if it's just this for fourteen hours? I would be really disappointed. That's why I say I'm afraid of this game. I'm not afraid I'm of it. I'm afraid of this game. I can't be afraid of anything I've lusted after for twelve years. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, I've put this on about 12 lists. Make it 13, baby. Boom. All right, Matt. It's time for you to make your pick for right. the most anticipated game of 2016. The most anticipated game of 2016. Not even a competition. No Man's Sky. No Man's Sky. Again, could be horrible. Yeah. Um, it could, could be boring. Totally fail to live up to what I'm hoping it will be. In fact, that's what I would say right now is it looks boring. I disagree. Yeah. But... Obviously, it's your most anticipated game. Um, but, like, again, you know, if this game is done right, like, you better make sure you call me on show day. Because, like, I may, <laughs> I may be on another fucking planet. You may not planet. make it, yeah. Um, if <laughs> Especially it's not, if it's in VR. If it's not good, uh, I am going to complain about it for the rest of the year. So I just, I just want you to be ready. You forgot about Batman eventually, kind of. Hmm? You forgot about Batman eventually. Oh, I didn't forget about that. Kind of. I didn't forget about you, motherfucker. <laughs> Didn't forget about you, Bruce Wayne. I was very upset you you cut the most disappointing game. Yeah, well, we had already, already done with our Turkey Awards. We had done. yeah, but Turkey. Uh, I named Battlefront because I was so irritated with how it was then, and like, but but as far as games all year that just like let me down completely, uh, Arkham Arkham Knight. Yeah, no question. Like Arkham Knight, just I don't understand what the hell anyone was thinking through that whole thing. Very pretty game. That oh was, yeah, yeah. That was on my short list for best uh, graphics, actually. One yeah. Of them. I, if I if it didn't make me angry, I might have like put it on on my short list. There. Yeah. Because like, that that's good cape. It sure is. <laughs> it gives good cape. Real good gives good cape. <laughs> and the raindrops on the cape. That's good stuff. Yeah. I'm into that. But uh, I don't care how pretty it looks. It, I, the fucking bat tank. <laughs> Poochie the bat tank. 
<laughs> Where's <laughs> Poochie? Like, it was just, it was just like I don't, I'm never gonna care about your fucking bat tank. Like, stop it. <laughs> but yes, No Man's Sky, my pick for, uh, you know, and, and again, also a June game, just like Batman. Yeah. I mean, I probably would have picked Arkham Knight as my most anticipated game for the first half of this year. Yeah, if you had done, if I'd done this, this last for, year. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think a I lot hope. of people would have. Yeah, No Man's Sky, and that's you know. No Man's Sky, if it's done right, is one of my dream games. It's one of the games that's been in my head my got whole life. So, ya. yeah, this was a no-brainer, most anticipated game. All right. But I fully admit that it might be terrible. It could be boring. I don't, I don't think it'd be terrible. I think it could be boring. Oh, anything could be terrible. <laughs> but, yeah, boring is probably the most likely way it would be terrible. Well, I think the concept, as long as it's not broken... I keep think that alone keeps it Who from knows? being terrible. It could be broken. But it could just be dull with nothing to do. Other Maybe. than traveling around. That's my fear. I'm looking forward to just naming pterodactyls after you. Yeah, okay. that's, 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 I mean, you don't, you don't need to... If you give me another planet to look at, as long as there's you know stuff to do in terms of like, oh, I'm going to catalog this plant. Well, you know, the first planet I find is being called Planet Sifted. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> you guys can all come and live planet there with Sifted us. Planet Sifted and it's moon gifted. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now I need to pick my most anticipated game of 2016, and that game is Horizon Zero Dawn. Woo! Yep. Very close to my runner-up. Yeah. I, uh, I'm blown away by this game. I saw, you know, the, e- the demo they showed at E3 was one thing, but then seeing it behind closed doors was another thing. Um, I'm a little scared because of the developer. And I honestly have not really loved a game this developer has ever made. Which is just Killzone. I mean, I mean, they've been stuck on Killzone for how many years? That's the thing is, I never liked the Killzone. Well, Black. They made Black. Black, and that game was good. But I never liked a Killzone game. I don't um, either. Like, but no, I, I, I wouldn't but say I don't ex- like them. But I'm excited. I would. I just never. Nothing about a Killzone. Killzone ever grabbed me at all. But I will say, I am pretty. This game to me looks like a developer unleashed. It looks like. They've had a lot of ideas for something like this. Like over the years, they were stuck on Killzone, and now they're being kind of freed to make this game. And it really—it lo- looks like it's just got verve and heart. Well, here's the other. Here's the thing over. for me: is that I do kind of have that Monster Hunter recessive gene. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> I played Monster Hunter Try on uh, on the Wii for probably a couple hundred hours. And it, it, you know, it also kind of has a little bit of that Fantasy Star Online vibe to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll admit that's also a reason I like Xenoblade. Yeah, Fantasy Star Online. Yeah, it's got that same vibe to it, definitely. And uh, you know, this game isn't just Monster Hunter because when I eventually burned out of Monster Hunter, is I felt like I didn't have enough context for what I was doing. It's mm-hmm. just like, let's go kill this monster. Like, there was really no story <laughs> behind it or any setup for it. Like, it was just like you're gonna go kill this monster. Yeah. And here, it's like there's actual narrative to it. There's an open world. There's, like, these other races and societies that you're mingling with. There's an ecosystem in the game where the creatures are fighting each other. And, like, I just feel like this game is going to suck me up in it. And I'm just going to curl up in a fetal position and love it to death. So, you know, I could be let down. Again, you know, Gorilla has never really made a game that I completely loved. And, uh, but, man... (laughs) This looks so yeah. awesome. Well, I it's just... also it's like like the Xenoblade thing. It's like just walking through this environment with these creatures that don't really care about you. It's like this ecosystem in front of you. Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's what really I do cool. love about open world games that feel like they're alive, where it's not just like. And that's one thing I would say about like the Grand Theft Auto games. Like everything feels like it's all set up. Like it's like a set for a play, where it has like this very pretty facade, and then you go walk to the side, and you can see like the the wooden supports like holding it up, like. 
That's how I feel like some of the Grand Theft Auto stuff is. And, like, these games where you have creatures that are preying on each other and you become a part of that, like, it just adds a whole other layer of kind of aesthetics to it. So I'm crazy excited for this game. I also fear it won't come out next year because it is really ambitious. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's being made by a developer who's never made a game like this before. I'm hoping it's going to be like their September-October game. This will be a dicey fantasy draft game, too, right here. Yeah, well, also, also, I mean, we're going Metacritic, right? Yep. So, yeah, I feel like this one could be loved. We'll see. But, like, it's going to have to make it first. Yeah. So, we'll see. But uh, I'm really excited for that game. That is my most anticipated game. For 2016. I, you just made me think of, like, do I want No Man's Sky? Because <laughs> I feel like the reviews on that are going to be all over the place. It could be. Because there will be some people who, like... There's going to be a love it or hate it on that one. It'll actually be one of those games on other people's lists that say they don't get, like, next right. year. Right. So there will be people will be like, I don't get it. Like, just right. flying from one planet to another. I don't but get it's it. It's already there. For yeah. It's like, I don't get it. They haven't even played it yet. <laughs> just on the concept. But what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> it's like I shoot you with a fucking laser beam. That's what I do. <laughs> All right, so that's it for Sifted's first annual Game of the Year Awards. Let's see if we have any questions from you guys. We actually asked for questions like 20 minutes ago. And now there's like all this commentary about No Man's Sky. Actually, a lot of commentary about No Man's Holy cow, a lot of commentary also, about No Man's uh, Sky. In, term, in terms of um, you know, the, going back to the platform of the year question, isn't all our anticipated games are Sony exclusives? Yeah. Right, which makes my point about... Yeah. Like, about the weakness of this year and the strength of next right. year for the PS4. Right. For sure. Yeah, you're right. All four of them are PlayStation exclusives. So it's going to be one hell of a year for PlayStation yeah. 4. Everyone's going to be glad they got one now. Let's see. I don't know if anyone did ask questions. They're actually def- definitely chatting up our uh, our choices. That's for yeah. sure. Oh, uh, was it Vinarab asked if I've played Dreamfall's cha- Dreamfall Chapters this year? No, I have not, although I did back it on Kickstarter. Uh, I'm waiting till all the chapters are out before I play it because I hate waiting for things in the middle of the story. If if I play it now, I'm going to go back and play them again when the final chapter comes out, and that's just going to waste my time. Uh, so no, I haven't played it yet, but I did like Dreamfall not as much as Longest Journey. But I'm waiting on chapters until they're done. I'm still trying to find questions. People are just talking about our choices like crazy. Actually, W. Matthew points out that No Man's Sky is also on PC. I forgot about that. Uh, that's right. But it's being pushed very hard as a PlayStation. Yeah, but it's it's very easy to think it's a PlayStation yeah, 4 exclusive. Yeah, it's easy to forget. <laughs> I mean, it is at the top of my Steam wish list, but there's no real... Inf- there's no real. It just has a page. There's no price. There's no anything. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Potheads will give No Man's Sky a 10. <laughs> Sober People a 7. That's from Nolan Elric. Entirely <laughs> possible. Oh man, there's so much chat. I'm still they're talking so much about our picks. It's like I can't find any questions. Uh, a couple of people asking what date we'll be back in January. Do I haven't looked at the yet? calendar actually. Yeah, I don't know actually. It'll it'll be the first week of January, one of the days that week for sure. Because mm-hmm. um, typically I go home, I'll leave to go back to the East Coast on like the 18th or 19th, so like late next week, and then I our, my anniversary is the 28th. So usually we do Christmas with our family back on the East Coast, and then we go somewhere for a short trip for our anniversary, and then we come back. So I'll be back here probably by January 1st. Mm. We're usually back here for New Year's. 
Um, so whatever the first Tuesday is of the first week of January, we'll probably have the show. Hopefully there's something to talk about. That's the oh, other wow. thing. Like, I might have to Skype in for that one. Yeah. When are you coming back into town? Not sure yet. Okay. Well, here's the thing is like things have really slowed down in the last two days. Yeah. Like, honestly, there is nothing yeah, happening in the industry today. I don't know if anything today. will be occurring. Yeah, today. I checked Sifted today, and the curation, there was just, like, nothing. There just isn't anything happening right now. Now that, like, Rainbow Six is out, it's the last big game. Like, some of the story sites were, were uh, publishing today, were, they were publishing them just because they had nothing and they needed something. So, things are really slowing down already, and it's only, like, not even the... The second week of December yet. So by next week, by the time I'm ready to get out of out of here, there's going to be nothing going on. So, and then once everybody leaves for the Christmas break, like over like December 20th through the New Year, it is just crickets. Like everyone will be publishing their Game of the Year awards, and that's pretty much it. So, yeah, we're not even sure that there'll be stuff to talk about the first week of January. If there mm-hmm. is, we'll do a show. If there's not, we'll push it until we actually have something to talk about. But. Uh, Maybe we'll make up with it for streams or whatever. Because I'm going to be here. I'm going to have to have something to do. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's when you stream Bloodborne. That could be my Bloodborne marathon. You guys can all come and all tune in laugh at me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'll make it, man, without destroying something. So, but yeah, um, maybe a lot can... of people. A lot of people pointing out that XCOM 2 is their most anticipated. That's a good pick. I do. I do love the XCOM. XCOM was Game of the Year at GT. I think it was 2012. Was it? Is that the year it came out? Sounds right. Yeah. 2012, it was the game of the year. Hmm. Because that year, like, our editors, we were all split. Like, we literally, we all had, like, a game that we all wanted, like, really badly and were fighting, like, tooth and nail for. And what it literally came down to was, like, what game could we all agree on that should be, like, second? Like, that's really what it Hmm. came down to. And, like, of the eight editors, like, six of us was like, well, we'll, I'd I'd have XCOM second. And once six, there was, like, six of us were like, well... That's pretty much the consensus. And the other two guys were like, yeah, I like it. So that's pretty much how it came to be. But yeah, it was our game of the year when it came out. So I hear you. Mm-hmm. But I played that, and then I played the next one, and they were both very similar. And today, like, all these previews came out for XCOM 2, and it sounds like it's pretty much just like the last two. And so I'm okay with that. Yeah, I am too, but for me... To be most anticipated game of the year, it's got to be something. Yeah, well, I mean, you know pretty much what you're getting out of XCOM 2, which is one reason it would be something to look forward to because it's going to be dependable. Yeah. Um, But yeah, like like my pick, certainly my pick for No Man's Sky is just like, I don't know, I'm totally curious. Like, I have no idea what's going to happen. I just want this Schrodinger's cat of a game to finally pop out and be alive or dead. Yeah. Like, do it. Yeah. All right. I think that's it, Matt. I think that is the end of Game Face for. 2015. I think we've made it to the end of the road. I just want to give you a high five for an excellent year. A show. You were the man. You've done an excellent job since jumping into the fray after Marcus's weird exit. So I just want (laughs) to, you know, aside from thanking all you guys for a great year, I want to thank Matt as well. He started out as our TriCaster operator, doing an amazing job at that as well. It was fun. Yeah. And uh, then moving in front of the camera, which is someplace you probably should have been a long time ago, to be quite Mm. frank. But, you know, when you work in TV, it doesn't always work out that no. way, which is where you've always worked. So, yeah. but I always knew. You gotta be a little prettier to be on TV, folks. <laughs> but the internet doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> Truth be told, I don't know that TV cares all that much anymore either. Because maybe not. I mean, I have, maybe not on sports broadcasts. For yeah. Sure. <laughs> but it has been a great year. It's been crazy. This year has been insane. Yeah, like, but you did it. I, yeah. You've been talking about this for a long time and you did it. Yeah. 
Once again, thank you guys for a great year. 2015 has been awesome. I mean, you know, it was a dream of mine to launch a website like this, and it happened. So I guess in some ways I've achieved my dream. Now the next phase is to just make it successful. Now you got to keep dreaming. Yeah, keep on dreaming, and I, I will. So everybody have an amazing holiday season. I'm going to miss you guys. Like I feel like it's <laughs> like a friend that I'm saying goodbye to right now. Uh, everyone have a great holiday season, a safe holiday season. I hope you guys all get whatever consoles or games or whatever you guys are hoping for for the holidays. Um, have a safe New Year's. Don't drink and drive. I don't want to hear about any sifters getting in bad accidents over the holidays. Have somebody drive who's sober or take a cab or an Uber or whatever. It's a big deal. Don't think it's not. So happy holidays from both yeah. Matt and I. Hope you guys have a great holiday season, a restful one. Hope you get to play a ton of games. We'll miss you guys while we're out, but we'll see you in early January. Game Face is up and out.